kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Auntie Nanny. Um, tonight, we would normally start the show with the CASA portion of the program, but uh, I don't see Alex around. Mm -hmm. I do have an update that I'll read a little later. Um, so let's get on with it, shall we? Uh, with me tonight is the bubbly and vivacious Miss Jeannie Kay. How are you tonight, Miss Jeannie? Actually, bubbly and vivacious. <laughs> All right. And the very best producer money can't buy, which is good because I'm still not paying him after like four years. Very, how are you this evening, Very Fine. Still not bubbly and vivacious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I hear that. Okay. So... We were talking before <clears throat> before we went on air about um, things like Conplant 8888. Do you want to bring that up again, Jeannie, before we... Well, and I'm, I'm not really trying to piss people off, but I have, I have stopped not saying what I'm thinking. Okay. <laughs> I had stopped for a long time through this entire political process because it was like, you people are freaking crazy um but I, when did you see any of the media reports that that woman that was at uc berkeley and talking about how we need more of this and he's a fascist nazi which he is neither one of those things mm -hmm. but you know because he didn't they didn't like what he was saying they it was justified and that they need more militant behavior and we need oh yeah and i'm like what, what is what the fuck are you people thinking honestly what are they thinking jan you know, I pissed people off when I posted the, the thing about the protesters in the street. And, you know, Tennessee's got a bill going through where mm -hmm. as long as you're showing due care, you can go through them. And well, somebody well. said, well, how can you? That's not due care. and You're running somebody down with a car. Um, in case, you know, people haven't noticed, do, do the freeways down there, Jan, when you get on the on-ramps, does it, does it say no pedestrians and bicycles? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because they say that here, too. No yeah, pedestrians yeah. and bicycles. You know why? Because it's illegal for you to be there. It's for motor vehicles. It's for fucking cars. Keep your stupid ass out of the street. <laughs> and and you know, and they're like, well, you know, and, and it it's 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 the heart of civil disobedience. No, 
no, no, no, no, no. And they're like, well, you got to get the cops involved and the cops should be removing them. I'm like, oh, yeah, because what happens then, Jan? What happens um, when the cops go to take these protesters off the highway? Well, it, it, it goes down it, it, and the it, cops it, get blamed for being assholes, right? But, I mean, it also depends on what kind of protesters you're dealing with. Now, some people are just literally peaceful protesters joining hands. Uh, overpasses across America is a good example of a protest group that's not doing anything. They're just standing on overpasses holding signs. You might remember them. And it's there's different offshoots of them. Some are Democrats, some are Republican, and they're all protesting different things, but they're not hurting anybody. They're not stopping the flow of traffic. They're just, you know, telling people this or this or this. Sometimes they get together and they do like a light display in the middle of the night so cars can see them. You know what I mean? At standing on an overpass where cars going by can see the lights and they'll spell out something. Um, that's not bad. But if you're dealing with um, anti-fascists, <laughs> um, you're dealing with a whole different animal. It's just, it's making me crazy because I sat there and I tried to do the math for people. And I know my math was, was there, it wasn't exact and I didn't mean it to be exact. Okay. But um, talked about the fact that, you know, there's like supposedly 270, 260 or 270 million adults, mm -hmm. legal resident adults in the United States. And 200 million of them are supposedly registered voters. And I find it really hard to believe that that much of the population is actually a registered voter. Um, but anyway, that's that's a whole nother ball of wax. Um, well, I mean, with, motor, with the Motor Voter Act, anybody can be registered whether you want to be or not. Um, but there's a lot of places when you get your driver's license, they ask you if you want to. You don't have to. Same mm -hmm. thing like unemployment offices. You know, are you registered to vote? Would you like to? Um, it's still a yes or no option. Mm -hmm. But so, okay, so we had 200 million registered voters. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, 65,000 roundish numbers voted for Clinton. 65,000 or 60, sorry, 65 million, not thousands of people, millions, <laughs> um, voted for one or the other. Right. Okay. Well, that's still only 130. Yep, so yep. 70 million registered voters didn't that's vote just... for either one of them two clowns. Right. Okay. They didn't vote for either one. So that's a large portion. That is more people than voted for either one of those <laughs> two people. Yep. So by and large, the majority of registered voters didn't want to vote for either one. Mm-hmm. So now we got these people out there screaming and rioting and protesting and, and, and they're, it's, they're rioting. You know, I have no problem with protest, no problem at all with protest. I have a problem with rioting. I have a problem with blocking freeways because the truth of the matter is there are people that are in ambulances or are having a house fire or in an accident and waiting on, on emergency vehicles. There are people that are losing their jobs all because of these fools standing in the middle of a freeway. And that's not right. So now you've got, then you've got these, these violent protesters that are going on the media and screaming that they need to have more of this violence. 
I'm sorry. I thought California and UC Berkeley mm-hmm. specifically were a free thinking space. <laughs> you know, this is supposed to be the land of free thinkers. And the free thinkers shut down somebody's free speech. Because they felt they were justified in causing property damage and shooting fireworks at cops and and (laughs) to to make it so that this guy couldn't talk. Are they that terrified of what he was saying? Do they really think that they endeared themselves to the public with that display? Because I'm not I'm not pro Trump. And you know that I'm not pro Clinton either, but you know, you and I have talked about free speech forever and ever and ever. I despise the Westboro Westboro Baptist church, Mm -hmm. despise that organization. I despise the KKK. Mm -hmm. I hate what these people say, Mm -hmm. but they have a right to say it. Yep. Yes, they do. And Actually, uh, the campus free speech thing isn't just a big deal here. It's a huge deal in the UK. Oh, yeah. uh, Bren- Brendan O'Neill from Spiked, um, from Spiked writes about it consistently. Um, they just keep shutting down differing opinions. It's like this generation coming up after us cannot deal with the idea of a point of view that is different from their own. They would, we have free speech. We can say whatever we want, but you, not you, you're not allowed because you don't agree with us. So you need to shut up. The, the most interesting protest in the UK over the last, um, university protest I'm talking about over the last year was, there was a particular journalist, Mm -hmm. um, and she's an outspoken piece of human garbage um we'll leave it at that i won't name names but she was booked to speak at a university so in protest a group organized to have as many of their supporters in her audience as possible Mm -hmm. she came in to speak three quarters of the audience stood up turned her back on her stood like that for a minute and then all left since she started (laughs) speaking that is protest that's, that's actually a very good protest. And that's a very good protest. They didn't stop her from speaking. They didn't stop anybody that wanted to listen to her from listening. I mean, they took up some space, but they made their point. Yep. You know, they yep. they were all there and they got up and they walked out. And I'm sure that that walkout had more impact, positive for their side than if they would have stood there screaming and yelling and acting a damn fool. Um, what, what the hell was the one? There was, there was another one. The woman, the lady from the UK, Barry, that did the interview was doing a talk here at a college. And the, the woman, there was a woman in the crowd and she was talking about how great it is everywhere else. And, you know, and look at, look at how, the UK's doing, and the lady said, "Stop! Stop right there! Wait! Stop!" <laughs> She's, our, we're crumbling. You know, you can't you can't hold this up as as the poster shot as the poster child for the EU. 
No. England no. just voted to leave the EU because <laughs> it's that bad. And and you want to say that this that the United States need to, needs to be modeled after us? That's the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life. And they just they don't want to hear differing opinion. Well, that's, you know? that's what it seems to be these days, even politics. Politics and the media, it's all about, I'm not saying all the media, but large quantities of it. It's mm -hmm. all about, you just don't give the other side, you don't let them speak. Mm -hmm. So, you yeah, actually... media organisations are splitting. Um, one of um, one of Trumpkin's advisors was calling the BBC fake news while being interviewed by the BBC this week. Um, mm -hmm. Despite the fact that it's in the BBC charter that they have to have both points of view, which people take the well, piss out of over here, because quite often, no. like vaping, you've got, say, Dave Dorn goes on to a radio show mm -hmm. to be the pro side of vaping because they've got some guy from the British Medical Association on being the negative side. And the BBC get panned for this all the time. It's like, oh, even even when the the other side isn't creditable, you still always have the person on. It's like, yeah, they have to. It's in their charter. <laughs> but other other organizations don't have to do that. So yeah, but well, the, UK, I mean, the UK has had we've, yes, got, had. we've got all these people here, very talking about, um, you know. A ban on immigration. Well, no. Jan, have you seen a ban on immigration anywhere? Uh, no, I haven't. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not there. But have you noticed how this is, that's what this has turned into? Is this country's built on immigrants. It's like, wait a fucking minute. Nobody said that, and I, and I feel like an asshole because I'm sticking up for, it seems like I'm sticking up for a guy that I, I don't even care for. Um, and I didn't vote for, um, but the the fact of the matter is nobody has said that they are going to stop immigration. They want to take care of the illegal immigration. And somebody said something the other day that really I put, I never looked at in that way, but if, if people are supporting illegal immigration, they really are supporting slavery because these people are coming over here. They don't have any papers. They're working under the table. So they're not getting paid what they should. They're not protected by workers' comp. They're not protected by anything. And they're being misused and mistreated. So, yeah, bring on the illegal immigrants and, you know, so that you can have a, a have an underground slave state. And that's what it basically is. But I you want to talk you want to talk slave state. You want to talk slave wages and no protections. Talk about our prison population. When you bring an illegal person over here, you are basically subjecting them to the same sort of conditions that our prison workers are subjected to, where they're making two to three cents a day. They have no protections. If they get hurt at work, it's sort of, oh, well, suck it up, buttercup, and get back in there and make whatever you're making. It's the very same sort of thing. Almost exactly. I put a post up and I was really looking for legitimate answers. It wasn't to piss people off. Of course, I pissed off Will. Oh, well, <laughs> he'll get over it. Um, but I said, what privately funded charities provide financial help to people wanting legal immigration? 
Do you know how many direct responses I got to that question? One, maybe. Two. Two. Wow. The, wow. the comments are, there, there's a lot of comments. Most of it's Will saying the same thing, 17 different ways, because, you know, his way is the only right way. But I got two. And, and one of them was stated that Trump's going to defund it. Which wasn't an answer to my question at all, because I said, what privately funded charities provide financial help to people wanting legal immigration? And I asked that question specifically to see what answers people would come up with. Because my question is this, all of these people that are screaming and yelling about um, this country being built on immigrants and they need to be allowed to be here. And, and these people have been here for so long that they should be citizens already. Are they donating money? Because I'm a proponent of less government and less government spending. So I think a lot of the things that the government is funding, they shouldn't be. And if you choose to donate to this cause or that cause, then that's what you should do. Um, Shriners, Shriners Hospital, donate. Disabled Veterans, donate. You know, I... I take money out of my pocket and give it to the organizations that I want to have it. So in, in the theme of less government and less government spending, um, find these places that support the cause that you are so passionate about and send them some money. Oh, I agree. Um, and I've never looked at the legal immigration thing, but, you know, I probably should. Um, I'm mostly concerned with, honestly, and this sounds screwed up because I, I think we're better off with less government all the way around. In fact, I'd vote for zero if I could. Um, damn you, Ron Paul, you did this to me. Uh, but um, we're never going to get there, right? So there's certain things we could do without um, helping people to immigrate. I'm not sure that is not a function of government, but you could take a lot of the cost expenditure on that uh, away and, and put it towards helping veterans, which we really should be doing. You see how bad the VA is here for our veterans. We're supposed to be giving medical care too. We're not. Um, the government's just an ugly, ugly, ugly ball of wax. But what, what I donate a lot to is CASA. I donate a lot to the Rutherford Institute, who do a lot to watch out for our constitutional rights. They're, they're a good watchdog, I think. Um, and I'm not trying to be an asshole, but every time somebody brings up, well, these people are in fear of their life. And it's like, um, so you think that the veteran that is so in need of, of physical and mental care that he's living under a bridge in sub-zero weather is deserves less of our attention because that's happening every single day. It's, it really, government is an ugly, out-of-control beast. We put a lot of, we spend a lot of money that we can never account for. 
We spend they spend an awful lot of money in administration costs because everybody's got to have 16 no no get rid of all of this ignorant bullshit paperwork take these organizations back to what they're supposed to be doing spending the majority of their money taking care of people and maybe i would not be so critical of them it's not just the bureaucracy they need to cut out all the dinners uh, they put on for people uh awards ceremonies they're always giving each other awards uh all that Retreats, kind of, but buying banquets. buying artworks for the offices you know all that shit yeah. that they use the public money on and it's like yeah, yeah you should be doing that, that at the end of the year if you have stuff left over in the budget after you've done everything else that you're supposed to be doing not that shouldn't be planned in in advance that should be like right we now have twenty thousand dollars left what will we do? <laughs> yeah. But no, 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 no. That's unsurprisingly to anyone who's ever worked in any of these organisations. Yeah, yeah. The the people at the top getting their nice dinners and the nice artworks around the place and all that kind of crap. That that's at the front of the list usually. You know, before any budget, any of the rest of the budget money spent on, it's like. Oh well, we need to have the state, the state dinner every six months. Uh, <laughs> what, what was the rest of the money for? Uh, <laughs> and that's a huge waste. I mean, that that that's the one that annoys me. Um, All of the waste annoys me. There doesn't need to be any. They're using our money, you know. And and the way the government's setting up now. I mean, I don't know if anybody else read about the FBI, what they did. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You can no longer file an FOIA request through email or online to the FBI. You have to physically go do it now. Hmm. So that'll be nice. I'm sure that's an expenditure for them. Yep, or and, for a, us. And, and I bet half the people that go and try and do that will even be let in the building to put the paperwork in to file their, their request. Well, I'm well, federal betting, building, you can't come in. <laughs> I'm betting money you're, you're going to get your name put on a list if you do that. But maybe I'm just paranoid. I'm sure they have the very best of intentions. Or, or, or because it's a do. secure FBI building, they have to take your biometric data uh, to let oh. you in. That's the other one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and... We sound like paranoid, crazy people, but I'm going to assure you we actually aren't. Um, I did want to step back to something you said about the BBC being forced to show both sides. Yeah. Um, you do realize before Ronald Reagan took office, we had something called the Fairness Doctrine? Yes. And we, we no longer have that. The press yeah, it was show. similar. Yeah. You had to have a balanced can... reporting. Yeah. But no, no. No modern world. No balanced reporting needed. Uh, no. The, except the for the BBC. <laughs> can show whatever it likes and yeah. fuck you, basically. And so you're that's not what getting... that's that's what makes me laugh as well. The BBC is one of the organisations that that are being called libtards by one side <laughs> and right wing assholes by the other side. And it's it's <laughs> like really, you both think they're on the other side. Okay, the BBC must be doing something right because they are supposed to be yeah. both sides. You know. But, you, but people you don't see that. They, they, as Jeannie said before, yeah, people's brains are not working. 
Well, they're not working because they've been, I don't want to say fed and programmed because that sounds wrong, right? But it's because you're only being exposed to one thing. Now, somebody sent me an article earlier this week and it was all about Donald Trump and I'm sitting there and I'm reading it and I'm going, now, okay, fair enough. Um, I'm not a fan. I did not vote for this person. I don't like him. I'm like, and I said to this person, have you ever noticed, you, you listen to my show, I am decidedly not left-wing and not right-wing. Uh, I'm the only news source that I know of that you have that's not left-wing and it's not right-wing. But every other news source you have is blatantly left-wing. Don't you think that's dangerous? I, they thought I was nuts and I said, okay, um... I think without some sort of balance, you get to a tipping point, right? You get to a spot where there really is only one majority source of opinion. And that's the source that you have. Um, you don't consider any other sides. But without that, without gridlock in Congress, without a balance in the House and the Senate and the judiciary and the legislative branches... Um, you get sort of this this runaway mentality, which kind of leads to the very worst in whatever side showing up. The very worst right-wing traits are, I don't want to say extreme nationalism, they're extreme racism. Um, extreme nationalism, extreme racism, you know what I mean? Scary racism is the worst trait of the right. The worst trait of the left is that you can show so much compassion and so much love for people that things like the killing fields become possible. People don't think about that. You know what I mean? Never being exposed to one opinion or another opinion. I think that's highly damaging for people. Don't you? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you've got to be exposed to all sides of the argument, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And I felt bad saying to this person, if you only have one opinion, like they, they, the, basically the article they sent me was saying that, you know, the, the deep state allowed Donald Trump to get elected. Oh yeah. So right. that one could right. Yeah. Right. Granted. You know what? I, I bet you dollars to donuts. They probably did. Cause I think they have a hand in all elections. Um, but if they allowed him to get elected and you look at the majority still against him, why did they allow him to get elected? Right. Is there a reason why you let someone that you say is a conservative get elected? He, he's not conservative. He's more, if you look at the things he wrote down as proposals, whether he'll do them or not, I doubt he'll get a chance to do them, but, um, they're very Theodore Roosevelt kind of thing. They're very progressive viewpoints. Honestly, the legislation that he had proposed, a lot of it, it's very populist in nature. This is not a conservative person at all. But if they allowed someone that they portray as a conservative to get into office, it, it has to be for a reason. Well, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't classify him as left or right. Uh, Me either. I kind of classify him as it's that orange guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
that's as far as I go. I mean, I've looked at his policies, and some of them make sense. Some of them, yeah, you're looking at it going, does he actually, has he thought this through? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's po it's very populist. It, what he proposes are populist solutions to problems that I, I don't think are always credible or will work or make any sense. Um, but I don't know. Well, I mean, I said it before before the show. Uh, it's it's uh, the new reality TV show, Nervous <laughs> Breakdown Live. It's well, it, it's interesting. Every time there's a press conference from him or any of his advisors, you're sitting there going, "Oh my God, what's going on now?" I've got to tell you, Spicer looks like he he needs to take a weekend in a rubber room. Yeah, I think I think I think there needs to be some sort of intervention. <laughs> Before, before something bad happens. Um, yeah, he's not looking well. But, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I have a funny feeling about Trump. And I think if you think Pence is the better alternative... Oh, oh that's, that's absolutely God. insane. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I, I think you will never see Pence and Trump together. You, you would see pictures of Obama and his assassination insurance together. I don't think you'll ever see Pence and Trump together. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Yeah, he's, he's in the cryogenic fridge. Yeah, they're keeping him on ice until the assassination. Do you know who? Do you know who Pence reminds me of? Do you ever see King of the Hill? <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever see Hank's dad, the one who had his ankle shot off in the war? He I reminds me. Vaguely remember that. Yeah. He reminds me of Hank Hill's dad. From King of the Hill, which is disturbing in and of itself. Well, maybe we'll get a press conference sometime and he'll just come out on stage and propane. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. I don't know. I, I think politically we're we're in a big, We're we're currently ugly in the mess. waiting for the other shoe to drop territory. Um It's a big ugly mess. And how many months has it been since uh our president was inaugurated? Has it been a full month yet? Head, no, not head. no. Today's the only the seventeenth. Yeah, but, so, I mean, so, no. really, there's still people out there, um, people that are supposed to be intelligent, um, that apparently didn't take any um, POD or history classes or any government classes, that that still seem to think that if Trump and Pence are taken out of the picture via impeachment or or resignations or assassinations, or whatever, that Hillary Clinton <laughs> to be the president of the United States. I, I'm going, are you, you cannot possibly. There's, there's, a, there's a train, isn't there? It goes from, like, president, yeah, vice it, president, yeah. and then it goes down through the cabinet. Uh, yeah, secretary, secretary, secretary of state. State, and then Secretary uh, of Defense, something like that. It goes, it goes all the way down to Speaker of the House, for God's sake. I mean, that's how far down this this plan of preemptive, pre presumptive um, presidential rights goes all the way down that far. See, ours is even is worse in some ways, because ours goes... Right, whichever political party has the majority in the UK has the Prime Minister. So if you lose that prime minister, they have a deputy who then appoints a new deputy. 
And yet you could keep knocking them off, but as long as there's members of that party, <laughs> it's like, and next we have this one. <laughs> well, you know what this reminds me of? Um, and I, I've only seen a couple episodes of it because I'm not a big TV person, but there's actually a TV show called Designated Survivor. <laughs> has has I anybody watched that? that? Yeah, I watched that. Um, I watched like the first four episodes or so. I have yeah, to go yeah. look it up on Hulu and see if there's any more to watch. <laughs> but yeah, and I I just Jan, I don't understand what people are thinking if they're just I mean, and I've been known to shoot off my mouth and look back on what I said and went, that was stupid. But <laughs> these people are they not listening to the stupid shit that they're saying? I mean, they no, no. they think that the impossible is possible, and and it's not. And well, and I just I don't think that. That's the, called the, witchcraft, bibbity bobbity boo. Yeah, they're of the opinion that because Clinton won the popular vote, um, which is a whole my opinion on whether that's actually true or not is a whole other ball of wax. <laughs> but um, that goes back to the two hundred million voters um but anyway so they they think if if they tear it all down it's just gonna be a flick the light switch and everything's gonna go on on this pretty rosy picture but this isn't a pretty rosy picture i mean it, no offense like i and i certainly did not vote for our president but um, the people that did vote for him voted for him out of disgust. This is the same group of people that voted for Obama twice, thinking that there would be change. That same group of people is the group of people who elected Trump, and people forget that. And well, I mean, if we're going to compare two pictures, it's not a rosy picture. Best case scenario, Escher. Worst case scenario, Geiger or Barker. Um, God. Artworks, you know. We we yeah. have we have such sites to show you. Yes, they're they're amazing sites. They're they're really terrific. You've never seen sites like this before. Great Leviathan. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, you know that's what government is. Yes. In the most literal sense, government is Leviathan. This Trump Brexit, all of this, it's kind of. It's kind of the first step to leaving Leviathan. Oh, right for for the for 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 the U.S. audience who might not have heard, we we didn't have a lot of Trump news today, uh, <laughs> because because we, one of our ex leaders, uh, the the smiley one, the Cheshire politician Blair, <laughs> actually said that people should rise up against Brexit. You know, he he doesn't agree with it. So you have an ex prime minister. <laughs> Saying there should be a revolution against what the public voted for. Let me ask you something. How, how does he propose a revolution in your country with no arms? Uh, it's happened loads of times in the past. <laughs> well, I, I understand that, but I mean that's that's massive human cannon fodder too. Isn't oh yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Well, well, we've mentioned it before. Go look up peasant revolutions in the UK. Oh, I mean, yeah, do you know revolt. what this reminds? What what it kind of reminds me of there's there's a horrible movie with Kate Beckinsale, 
Um, and it's what the hell is it called? Um, Doomsday. Oh yeah. And there's a part where she's taping this politician who goes, you said you have the cure. So they've got the cure for this plague and it's the survivors of the plague. You can synthesize a cure for them from their blood. And the world is like Mad Max times 10. The new Mad Max, the less friendly, ugly Mad Max versus, you know, the old one. Um, it, it's just disgusting. People are cannibals. It's, it's a horrible place to be and it's a horrible time to be alive. So she goes and she gets the survivor from this, you know, just sort of medieval dwelling where most Scotland, of the it was, yeah. In Scotland, yeah. <laughs> where most of the survivors have cordoned themselves off in, in a, a big castle. castle, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's reverted to that sort of peasant times thing. Yeah. And there's there's a part where Kate Beckinsale is, is turning the survivor over to this big government dude. And um, she said, he says to her, well, you said you had the cure. She said, yes, it's, it's in her blood. So she turns the survivor over to the guy with the doctor. And the doctor's going, I don't trust him. And she's like, just, this is your chance. Just go. And she, it starts taping him. And she goes, well, you, you know, you should have a cure ready within a few weeks. And he says, no, we're just going to let it burn itself out because things will be so much better for the people left alive. At the end, that's kind of the the thinking your Cheshire cat politician is showing there when he advocates for the poor to rise up against what they've already voted for and start a revolution. I, <laughs> you know, it, it just being so much better for the rich people. Left Funnily behind. enough, he I bet he's being asked lots of questions. He hasn't said much in public since this came out, but yeah, I bet every time he appears now. Our media will be asking him, how are the majority supposed to be revolting against what they wanted? <laughs> it you is a good dumb question. mother. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's bad, isn't it? Yeah. This is pretty terrible. Um, so... Of course, he's, he's thinking that, yeah, the, 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 the Remainers should be the ones rising up. But, yeah, sure. they were outnumbered. Not by a lot. Yeah. Yeah, again, voter turnout. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember the Scottish independence referendum. Mm -hmm. 84% turnout. People couldn't believe it. Because oh. normally they're amazed if it gets above 50%. Yeah. And 84% in Scotland for the referendum. That's pretty good. That's really good stuff. Okay. Gina, do you feel better that we've talked about that? No, <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, it just—it's still—it honestly—it just baffles me. And I'm not—I'm not saying that people are stupid, but I'm saying there's an awful lot of ignorance um, going on, uh, mm -hmm. you know. And ignorance is is lack of knowledge. Um, so I'm not calling you stupid. I'm just saying that you're you're not paying attention to actual facts. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I just, I don't get it. Um, Jan, are we allowed to bring up your little snafu? Go ahead. <laughs> so, so congratulations on getting married, Jan. Thank you. Nice, you're all so, official, um, official. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Your, your official marriage. Um, mm -hmm. When did you and 
and Dan actually get married the first time? 13 years ago. And you just now found out that you weren't married. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny when people don't file your paperwork, what happens? And you go along on the assumption that this is fine. This is how things are. This is how things were. You know, everything was fine. You, you paid the nice monk a lot of money and he officiated at your wedding because you're a Buddhist and you had to have a Buddhist wedding. And then you find you have a Jerry Hall moment where your your marriage is not uh, sanctified or legal because, you know, monks live on a different timeline than the rest of us. And uh, those uh, seven days to get paperwork in mean nothing to these fuckers. He was probably planning to do it on his next cycle. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when yeah, I'm reborn, right. I'll, I'll file that paperwork. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, Jen, yeah. the only reason I'm picking on you is because I have to tell you that shit like that would happen to me. <laughs> it really would. Well, so I'm I mean, glad I'm not the only person in the world that... Well, my, my favorite thing is people going, well, how did that happen? Well, you know, we've never filed our taxes together before. It was the IRS who said something. Uh, oddly enough. <laughs> Gotta love the IRS. Boy, they've got their fingers on the pulse of everything. Yeah, if there's paperwork, they will find it. <laughs> yes, they will. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and they found a lack of it. So um, we had to go through the expense of doing all that again. And, you know, uh, the expense of refiling as singles this year. But, you know, next year it'll be better. We can actually file jointly. But we had never filed jointly before, you know. So it never came up. Ever. Ever. So there's that. So, yeah. Um, well, I mean, a lot little, of people would be renewing their vows anyway. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Little, little tips and tricks. Um, when you go and you get married, uh, leave with those papers signed with the officiant in your hand and then take them to your uh, town hall or your, your city seat to have them filed yourself. That way, you don't have to put up with what I put up with. So handy tips and tricks. I keep coming up with these great life hacks. It's just <laughs> unfortunate how I keep coming up with them. There's that. Um, I wasn't sure. Do you guys want me to do the CASA update first? Or should we jump right into the news? It's up to you. The CASA what do you feel like? Okay, the CASA update's actually pretty quick, so I'll probably read it. Okay, I'll start a record then. Okay. Good evening and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 2-17-2017. My name is Jan Johnson. Um, this week in legislative news, <clears throat> uh, there's a bill... In Hawaii that currently seeks to end online tobacco purchases, which you don't think applies to you, but if you vape, it does. Um, the bill is currently making its way through the Hawaii House of Representatives and is seeking to close what they call a loophole that these 13 legislators see as allowing people, particularly minors, to circumvent the state's current tobacco taxes and laws by purchasing such products online. The bill is called HB 1945, and it seeks to, quote, correct a loophole in the Hawaii law regarding age verification, taxation, and public health goals 
by prohibiting the shipment of certain tobacco products purchased through the internet or by mail order to anyone other than licensed wholesalers or retailers. Effectively, it bans people in Hawaii from purchasing tobacco products, e-cigarettes, and other alternative nicotine delivery devices via the internet, mail, or phone order. As introduced, any manufacturer, wholesaler, dealer, retailer, or other person or entity who knowingly violates the law, should it be passed, would be guilty of a Class C felony, which carries a maximum fine of $5,000 per violation. Hawaii has some of the strictest tobacco control laws in the country. It was the first country to raise the minimum age to purchase tobacco products from 18 to 21, and it remains just one of two states in the country, along with California, to have passed um, a massive um, age increase. Um, it also currently imposes a tax of 50% of the wholesale price on cigars and other tobacco products, and the state legislator is currently considering an increase to 70%. On Tuesday, the House Committee on Health um, voted 6-0 to recommend the bill be passed with amendments, though those have not been published to the legislator's website. The bill has also been referred to the House Committee on Consumer Protection and Commerce. The ban would go into effect July 21st, uh, July 1st, 2017, should it pass. Uh, and we're looking at the return of Cole Bishop. Um, Representative Tom Cole from Oklahoma and Representative Stanford Bishop from Georgia introduced legislation in the House of Representatives on Tuesday, which if adopted could prevent e-cigarette businesses from falling into a state of de facto prohibition. The bipartisan legislation would alter the Food and Drug Administration rules requiring products deemed to be tobacco products that came on the market after February 15, 2007, the predicate date, to undergo a prohibitively expensive and complicated approval process. The predicate date is especially damaging for e-cigarette businesses since almost all types of vapor products entered the market after February 2007. Uh, the pre-market tobacco application process costs millions of dollars and countless man-hours per product. Being almost entirely made up of small and medium-sized businesses, the e-cigarette sector can't come anywhere close to affording the costs associated with these regulatory barriers. Uh, experts estimate if the rules are not changed, 99% of the vapor market will be wiped out. Ironically, the only players who'd be left in the e-cigarette space would be majority tobacco companies that can afford to comply with the FDA regulations. So, uh, Cole Bishop is back. There's some language in there about batteries, which is a little concerning, but uh, it is well worth looking at. Um, today, there was a meeting of the county commissioners in Indiana and Monroe County. They were considering a vapor ban, and I actually have quite good news on that. Uh, the county commissioners voted two to one not to include vaping in their county smoking ban today. So well done on that. Um, the vapors in Indiana and the businesses who helped defeat that legislation. Um, <sighs> The village of Heartland, okay, um, the village board <laughs> on Tuesday night, February 13th, agreed to help a local business fight new e-cigarette rolls by the U.S. FDA, which the business said could cause it to shut down. The FDA in August wrote new rules for the manufacturers and sellers of tobacco products, which includes e-cigarettes. The rules do a number of things, such as requiring warning labels and prohibit the sale of tobacco products to those under 18, 
However, it's the rule that would require approval of every product introduced after February of 2007 that the leaders of Heartland-based e-cigarette juice manufacturer Johnson's Creek Enterprises fear could put them out of business. Johnson's Creek has more than 200 e-liquids that were all introduced to the market after 2007, according to Heidi Braun, President and Chief Operating Officer of Johnson's Creek. She said each application could cost about $1 million, which would cost the company about $200 million if uh, submitted an application for each flavor. We're absolutely for regulation, but we're for stable and right regulation, Braun told the Village Board. Not something that could put us out of business or cost us millions of dollars. Village involvement could help. According to Linda Hansen of the Electronic Vaping Coalition of America, federal laws allow local governments to interfere with federal agencies if regulations or laws will affect a business within its boundaries. Hansen told the Village Board the law has been used often and effectively to interfere with federal rules. We're talking Tenth Amendment here, people. Johnson Creek was the first company to sell e-liquid in the U.S. Uh, it distributes to more than 120 countries and sells to some of the largest manufacturers in the business, including Finn and Blue. In her appeal to the Village Board for help working with the FDA, Braun pointed out that her company paid about $380,000 in rent last year and employs about 50 people who live, shop, and spend money in the village. She said her company had been a responsible player since day one, including packages with child safety caps, shrink wrap, and warning labels. Um, the village trustee, Rick Stevens, said he's used an e-cigarette for two years and the device helped him kick his habit. Um, so the village board voted unanimously to work with the FDA to defend Johnson's Creek. That's not something you hear all that often. I just thought that was interesting. And this was also interesting. This is the difference in two Oregon counties. We know that Oregon is a big proponent of Tobacco 21. Eugene, Oregon. Commissioners in Oregon County say a proposed ordinance to increase the legal age for using and buying tobacco products from 18 to 21 should include a clause to exempt users who have already turned 18. 18-year-olds 18 uh, who are already addicted shouldn't have to quit cold turkey. Lane County Commissioner Jay Brozovich said at Tuesday's public meeting on the issue. Let's be fair to those who are already addicted at a legal age rather than making their addiction illegal. Most of his fellow commissioners agreed voting 4-1 to one to advance the ordinance with the grandfather clause. The Registered Guard reported. Final approval could come March 14th with the new age limit taking effect 30 days later. Eric Brodnell, Western Director for the Preventing Tobacco Addiction Foundation, said the grandfather clause would render the ordinance useless for its first three years. Jack Jones of Eugene said commissioners should not pass the ordinance targeting people ages 18 to 20. We'll, set, we'll send them to war, we'll let them get married by a house, but we do not trust them with tobacco, he said. The efforts to raise age for legal tobacco users is part of a campaign called Tobacco 21 um, to pass local and state laws throughout the country because of alleged inaction at the federal level. Commissioner Sid Lecton voted against the ordinance, saying the legal age limit focused on buying tobacco should be uniform across all Oregon. I strongly believe we're creating an island, Lincoln said. Someone could go from Junction City to Harrisburg if they really wanted to buy those cigarettes. Those, cig those cities are less than five miles apart, but are in different counties, and they have different working tobacco, tobacco 21 laws. Um, that was the first time I'd ever seen that come up. I just thought it was interesting. And that is really all I have for this week. So tune in next Monday. Uh, next Friday for your next update. Thanks for listening. Told you that was quick. Yeah, I think that's a record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> that was quick, wasn't it? Yeah. Hey. Uh, right, All right. Hang on. It's, <laughs> it's uh, 8 minutes 42 seconds. Yeah. Hey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I do okay. All right. Somebody pick a story. Pick a Let's bitch about TSA. All right. Let's bitch you, you expected that, right? I did. So this was the first story I read February 15th. And you can imagine my surprise when I looked online and said, oh, what a romantic, romantic, romantic story, because it was dated February 14th. TSA workers busted running $100 million cocaine smuggling ring. Federal employees are facing 10 years to life in prison after being indicted for using their posts to smuggle over $100 million of cocaine into the U.S. from Puerto Rico. Twelve members of the drug ring, including TSA baggage screeners and security personnel, are facing charges of conspiracy to possess with the intent to distribute. Authorities say as much as 20 tons of cocaine over an 18-year period was smuggled in. The TSA hasn't been around 18 years, but hey. They claim a baggage handler in the ring picked up the cocaine-filled suitcases at checking counters and put them into TSA x-ray machines that another suspect cleared. After the baggage handler took them to their respective flights, making sure no police or canine units intervened. According to reports, up to five smugglers were used in each flight, each carrying as much as 33 pounds of the illegal substance at a time. This comes on the heels of a Homeland Security report that found that many of the major U.S. airports do not have full employee screenings. There's a shock. Security theater, also security subterfuge. Oh, do you know what I saw tonight? Okay. Uh, massive amounts of quantities of drugs going through an airport? No. <laughs> Um, I did see on February 15th at the border wall, they found one of those drug catapults. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't matter how high you build your wall. If they've got a catapult, the drugs can still get through. Um, and it, if anybody's seen the film Sicario, yeah. uh, you should also realize that there are massive underground tunnels in Mexico. Just thought I would throw that out there. Yeah, so, the, the Mexican drug cartels are really good at tunnels. Mm -hmm. Look at their leader. He, he got out of jail thanks to a tunnel he could drive along, apparently. Yeah. Oh, El golf Chapo. Golf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Yeah. For some reason, this reminds me of a funny Trump-esque story. Um... There was a Telemundo series called Heads of Space. Uh, if you want to laugh, it's all about the the election and all of the presidential candidates. And on like the third episode, uh, Donald Trump's sitting there and he's talking about uh, Marco Rubio. And he's calling him like a, a no-talent Mexican in high heels. And he's just going off. And then he goes, but that's what you get when you're the son of El Chapo. Just that reminded me of El Chapo for some reason. I thought it was quite funny. But the series itself is really quite funny. It's it's what would happen if we took our presidential candidates and launched them into space, which um, after this election, I am all for that. You, you can have ours too if you want. Yeah. I, I don't want your, I don't want mine. <laughs> I don't want yours either. Um, all right, very pick a story. 
Ooh. Uh, I'll be surprised if you don't pick the Glasgow one. Well, yeah, I was. Yeah, that's predictable. <laughs> Small steps. Baby steps. Oh. Over that one. Or is that part of a bigger story? It's hard to tell. Oh, it is. Yeah. Um, that's the American it... Spies thing. Yeah. Okay. American Spies. How we got two master valence without even trying. Review. Law Professor explains how the road to bad law is paved with good intentions. And that's a book. Uh, while American Spies was written prior to Donald Trump winning the 2016 presidential election, it has become vital and relevant under the new Republican administration. Uh, Jennifer Siska Garnick is one of the premier legal minds currently trying to grok the intersection between surveillance, privacy, and public policy. She serves as the Director of Civil Liberties at the Sanford Center and the Center, uh, Sanford Center for Internet and Society. Before that, she worked at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. In her book, Gannick presents an expansive overview of the national security legal landscape. However, despite being geared largely towards attorneys and academics, American spies can be easily understood by anyone with even a passing familiarity with touchstone concepts that have graced the pages of Ars Technica in recent years, including Edward Snowden, Section 702, and Executive Order 12333. These are all things we've talked about, so any of us could read this book. The Fiery Council wastes no time in laying out her argument. Modern surveillance is regulated by a confusing patchwork of laws that nonetheless fails to provide meaningful limits on government power and which therefore invites abuse. After September 11th, laws that should have protected people's privacy and stopped surveillance abuses were weakened by the USA Patriot Act. When technology and economics gave spies vastly more power, rather than have the law step up to challenge constraining that power, Congress and the courts did nothing or the laws were softened even further. American spies have flooded into the power vacuum left by powerful technology and weak legal protections. In short, American law as it stands is largely, largely insufficient to deal with the crushing weight and power of American spies. While Chapter 1 is largely a summary of Snowden-era programs and revelations, Chapter 2 is the part of Granick's book that made me sit up and take notice. She argues that a huge gulf separates how words are used by the intelligence community and the general public. For example, surveillance. Granick uses it in the way that ours and probably most people use it. Surveillance means government collection of private and personal information, address books, buddy lists, photos, phone numbers, web history, geolocation data, and more. But within government circles, surveillance means something very specific. It's shorthand for electronic surveillance, ELSUR, as governed by the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. She writes... By using surveillance to mean only ELSUR governed by FISA, officials can say they do not conduct surveillance even when they are collecting personal data like phone numbers, internet transactional records, face prints, or geolocation data. The intelligence community might call it acquisition of this kind of information collection, which sounds milder than surveillance. The word bulk is another opportunity for mischief. People use the word bulk as a synonym for massive, vast, or large-scale collection. But the intelligence agencies have a special definition of the word bulk. They use bulk only to mean acquisition that takes place without using a selection term or a discriminator. In other words, grabbing everything is bulk. But if the government uses search terms, keywords, or selection items, items it's not bulk. So if wiretapping a particular fiber optic cable, the NSA selects or tasks all communications with the word Syria or China in them, 
The NSA lawyers might not call that bulk, even though hundreds of millions of innocent people's irrelevant messages are going to be collected and analyzed. Similarly, the government won't say that its collection is indiscriminate if it uses any kind of selection term. This becomes more of a concern when the government makes it hard to answer the basic question, who is a United States person? Such people have inherent privacy protections, and a United States person is generally believed to mean an American citizen. American permanent residents, green card holders, and American companies. But there might be more to it. That's because, according to the Department of Justice Office of the Inspector General, there's now a classified directive that further explains who a U.S. person is, but it contains a few sentences that are redacted. Gernick reasons that this nomenclature obscurification isn't due to bureaucratic legalese. Rather, it's part of a broader strategy to keep not only the public in the dark, but the legislative and judicial branches as well. Gannett concedes, the evidence suggests that the misdirection is intentional, at least on part of some officials. The misstatements go well beyond the kind of obscurification needed to keep terrorists complacent about using surveilled networks. American spies know they have to maintain public acquiescence, and they believe if people knew the truth, the programs would lose support. An even bigger haystack. Beyond nomenclature, Gannick offers a three-part criticism of the national security law as it stands, revolving around mathematics, notification, and the opaque nature of the law. She begins by saying that the entire concept of collect it all is not just wrong-headed, it's also counterproductive. As experts like Bruce Shiner have been saying for years, probability and statistics show us that throwing billions of dollars to conduct mass surveillance to locate something that simply doesn't happen all that often, terrorism is largely pointless and the collected all credo has crept far beyond the search for terrorists. As ours has reported for years, this mentality has percolated down to the most local level of law enforcement. Police in cities across America routinely use license plate readers to investigate crimes. However, data from several cities show the hit rate or match between an unknown plate and a stolen or warranted car is always nearly less than 1%. In Oakland, it's 0.16%. Gannick explains that law enforcement agencies don't want to stop this collect-it-all train lest they be blamed for people dying, and yet abuses are common. Our readers may remember the National Security Agency Love INT scandal in which intelligence staffers used the agency's vast infrastructure to target their ex-partners. As far as we are aware, no one knows what punishments, if any, were doled out to those NSA staffers. Finally, there are no remedies for people who suffer from violations of those rules, Gannick concludes, Violations may or may not be reported or cataloged. Victims are not informed. Without the threat of exposure and punishment, there's a little incentive for analysts to rigorously follow the rules. Worse still is that while the courts ostensibly provide oversight, judges often don't find out about what has gone wrong until a national security official tells them. And even when judges do get upset, no meaningful punishments have ever been doled out for those who stretch the law. Judges also don't want to stop the spying because they're told if they do, some people could die, she concludes. So they expand the NSA's authority, issue more complex rules, and let the surveillance go forward. Finally, she reaches a troubling realization that the nexus between the law, surveillance, privacy, and national security still lacks clear-cut boundaries. Crucially, these discussions often happen without the benefit of public scrutiny. Many of these court cases are sealed or happen under the umbrella of national security classification, such that the citizenry doesn't know exactly what's going on. In some, there is much uncertainty in surveillance law. Does the Fourth Amendment protect data stored on the Internet? Is massive spying constitutionally different from the collection of one's personal data? 
how do FISA and EPCA apply information for which the expectation of privacy is not legally settled, given the third-party doctrine? If the Fourth Amendment doesn't apply to foreigners abroad, what does that mean for foreigners living in the United States and for the Americans that talk with them? Today, we are living under a confusing, convoluted, and technologically outdated legal regime that has left American privacy with uncertain legal protection. That uncertainty is exacerbated by the fact that so many surveillance, both law enforcement and intelligence, is secretly authorized by a sealed and ex parte court proceedings. Baby steps. Irate congressman gives cops easy rule. Just follow the damn constitution. After all of this, don't be surprised if you're demoralized. The wheels of justice move at a glacial pace compared to the breakneck speed of technology. The Supreme Court doesn't often rule on landmark issues of privacy, which means that the older legal theories like the third-party doctrine remain good law. American Spies is mostly descriptive and less prescriptive. Gannick doesn't address a possible solution until the end of the book. She knows that any revisions to national policy are a job for Congress. However, in the modern American political climate, Congress can barely agree on the time of day, much less comprehensive privacy law reform. Well, there are some efforts in the right direction. The Email Privacy Act just passed the House of Representatives last week. No cohesive, substantial movement exists within Congress to change the law. Yes, there are groups like the Electronic Frontier Foundation and the ACLU that are lobbying and litigating to nudge the government in the right direction. However, much of Congress still generally lacks the computer literacy skills to fully understand what the risks are and what steps need to be taken. Legislators like Representative Todd Liu of Los Angeles often seem to be speaking about the benefits of encryption in a vacuum. Also, seriously, how many top government officials are still using AOL accounts? Gannick makes no mention of how these surveillance policy reforms may be another decade or more away. However, there's a bright spot. A few cities like Seattle and Oakland have taken up efforts to more closely monitor how surveillance is conducted locally, and they have attempted to exert meaningful civilian oversight. So think globally, act locally. Uh-huh. So to sum up, <laughs> right? One You're reason, fucked. yeah. <laughs> well, the the main the main problem, yeah, bureau, bureaucrats and lawyers, right? Mm-hmm. Sophistry. <laughs> That's all you need to say. They deliberately yeah. word things in ways where they have a different meaning from the common usage. And that's sophistry. But yep. that's how lawyers and bureaucrats, that's how they write everything. Yep. Um, the other good one that made me laugh a little bit was the irate congressman line. <laughs> Just follow the damn constitution. Well, yeah, you, you, but can you do it as well? Uh because yeah, a lot of congressmen don't know seem to know anything about it either. Um, well, you know, I, I really think, honestly, I think to be a congressman, you should have to pass a basic knowledge test. I, I think all governmental offices, from school board on up to president, you should have to be able to pass a basic knowledge test, and that's basic knowledge of the Constitution. Um, basic knowledge of the Bill of Rights, maybe basic knowledge of American history. I think all of those things would go a long way into providing better governance. Jeannie, thoughts? You know that I think most politicians um, feel like they are 
uh, uh, above the Constitution. Um, they think the, the laws and everything that they do applies to everybody but them. So, you know, there's that. I don't, I don't, um, they're, I don't think they're basically that. full of shit most of the time anyway. I don't think that. I think that they think they're Sylvester Stallone. I am the law. You know, they think they are the law. They think there was no law before them. They think they're God. They are that bad a movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, some of them, I haven't seen some of them speak. Uh, yeah, they wouldn't pass any sort of test because some of them, I don't think, could find the bathroom if they didn't have AIDS showing them where to go. Guam. Uh, Guam. Guam. Yeah. Guam tipping over. Yeah. Anybody remember that? I remember that. <laughs> that was a gem from one of our wonderful Congress critters. And I, I'm watching him. I'm going, he's drunk, right? I think people expect competency and they expect decency from these people. And you have to understand they're a completely different species than the rest of us. They're like... If you've ever seen the movie Hellraiser, they're kind of like the demons, and we're just kind of like not the humans. Cenobites. Oh. Mm. That is true. Agents of order. Yeah. <laughs> In that Love chaos manner they have. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again. It's it's a perfect analogy for that for our government. Hellraiser. Great series. Great, great series of books, great series of films. Um, Some know, of them know. do resemble Pinhead. <laughs> yeah, well. You take that back. Pinhead's cool. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. Pinhead actually is cool. Um, and I wish our congressmen were as eloquent as Douglas Bradley. Yeah. Well, if you had, if you had more of them could speak with his voice, yeah, you'd get on much better, wouldn't you? <laughs> Maybe, I I wouldn't be the only watching one uh, watching C-SPAN then. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, since you didn't do it, <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna go a different way because everybody expects me to go with the the NSA or the well the NASA one. That's a really important one. There's other ones, but we'll get there. Uh, Scottish Sheriff awards couple compensation for distress caused by neighbors' use of CCTV from the efforts to oppress department. We've written plenty about CCTV here on TechTurp and it's creeping normalization around the world, but particularly in the UK. So it's good to read a story on legal news on the site outlaw.com about a rather unusual ruling from a Scottish court pushing back against the use of an intrusive CCTV system. It concerns a dispute in the Edinburgh, uh, in Edinburgh between individuals Nahid Arkham and, and Debbie and Tony Woolley. The latter couple live above a guest house run by Arkham, Akram. <clears throat> For various reasons, both parties decided to install CCTV systems, but with rather different scopes. While Woolley's equipment records images of their own external property only, our uh, Akram installed video and audio recording equipment, which allowed her and her husband to monitor comings and goings at the Woolery property and to listen into conversations in their private garden, according to the ruling. The equipment used by Akram was capable of sorting, storing five days worth of data at any one time. 
the Scottish court sheriff described the regime of surveillance that the Woolies were subject to as extravagant, unjustified, and highly visible, and as an effort to oppress. He said the Woolies and their family had suffered considerable distress since Akram's equipment had been installed in about October 20, 2013, in that it is difficult to conceive a more intrusive case of surveillance. Until recently, suffering distress from CCTV would not have been enough to receive damages. There needed to be an actual financial loss. But an important 2015 case in the UK involving a Google rule ruled that the claimants can claim for distress without having to prove pecuniary loss. This greatly increases the scope for compensation claims in the future, given an invasion of privacy will rarely be accompanied by actual monetary loss. Aside from the award of over $21,000 to the Woolies, the sheriff's judgment is also noteworthy for how he spelled out the distress they suffered. They've all been severely restricted in the use and enjoyment of their own home, Sheriff Ross said. They voluntarily restrict their external movements. They restrict their conversations both inside and outside their home as they are aware that they are being recorded and do not know the extent of the coverage. Although he is talking about surveillance in the physical world, his concerns have obvious parallels in the outside world, which is undergoing governmental surveillance, uh, not least in the UK. Already, some people are starting to restrict their digital movements and their conversations as they are aware that they are being recorded and do not know the extent of the coverage. The question is, why should such distressing surveillance be punished in the real world, but permitted in the digital one? A good question. Very. See, see the UK, we're, we're weird. So we have the most surveilled society in history. But we have incredibly strict laws about it. And yeah. the judge has quite rightly said, yeah, their personal space should not be being monitored by somebody else's cameras without yep. their permission. So exactly, yeah. and yeah, only in the UK does stuff like this come up. But it's because we yeah. have. Good I luck. talked earlier sophistry and language. Yeah, we got mm -hmm. it in the UK but as well. But it's handled right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Right. No, I mean they they took care of it. What do you guys have for um, drone policies? Uh, you, basically, you have to have permission to fly it in a in a. You have to to fly it in a public area. If there's people there, you need to have permission from the local authority. You also have to have a pilot's license to show you're capable of flying the thing. Um, yeah, I mean, there's load, we have loads of rules. We have drone laws already here. Yeah, so, so we don't. Yeah. I mean, um, the police um, the, the police actually have units now in various places who take care of drone incidents. You know, because, well, uh, you know, we, you have near misses with airliners. Mm -hmm. The police we, will try and track down the owner of that drone. Well, we have uh, we have people training hawks here to take down drones. Oh, we've got that here as well. You yeah, know, I but, mean, that's, that's you know, but that's, that's but steps that regular was, people was it, it was Manchester Police, uh, was it a year, 18 months ago? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they got a drone and then they were told they couldn't use it because... They hadn't applied for the permits. <laughs> they they yeah. hadn't trained the guys. To, you know, the guys had to have basically have a, pi a basic piloting license. Yep. It, there's actually, I don't know what they call it exactly, but yeah, you have to you have to basically set tests to you're competent at flying a drone. Yeah, I'm saying you've got to do that to fly them in public over here. So yeah, and I mean people do it, but if they get caught, they can get fined, and the police yeah. can take their equipment. If they're I mean, not fully written up. 
So yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. Well, um, our judges try and keep up, unlike yours. <laughs> ours, ours know how to use phones and everything. Yeah. Ours, ours, you know how to use quill and ink pot and parchment. <laughs> so there's that. At least they can write and read. We think. Um, Jeannie, it's your turn to pick one. Oh, let me see. Well, this one wasn't surprising at all. So um, let's talk about your cubicle has ears. Your cubicle has ears and eyes and a brain. The sensors and AI can keep tabs on employees better than any boss. Employers have long wanted to know how their workers spend their time. New office surveillance technology is now making the task far easier. Bloomberg reports that an increasing number of companies are outfitting offices with sensors to keep track of employees. Those sensors are hidden in lights, on walls, under desks, anywhere that allows them to measure things like where people are and how much they are talking or moving. The raw data is just the beginning. New scientists recently reported that a startup called Status Today uses software to crunch information on everything from key card swipes to what applications people are using on their computers to understand how employees and the business as a whole operate. Advocates suggest that insights from these kind of initiatives can streamline companies and spot potential problems before they happen. Perhaps only two-thirds of desks get used at any moment so the company can downsize the amount of office space they lease. Or maybe an employee looks at a lot of sensitive data and schedules a large number of external meetings so the system flags them as a potential security risk. These are, after all, problems that keep senior management awake at night. Of course, the... Those schemes can also be read as creepy Big Brother-style surveillance. Some companies are willing to take that risk in the hopes it will lead to more creative, productive workforce. In the case of Boston Consulting Group's swanky new Manhattan offices and some parts of the UK's National Health Service and professional service, services firms Delati, employees are being voluntarily tracked using biometric devices made by a company called Humanize. These devices use sensors to measure movement, sound, and location, among other things, allowing firms to really see what their staff are doing. According to Cranes, the devices go even as far as measuring as what's, what's known as latency, how long an individual goes without uttering a word to anyone, and when that word does come, where does it happen and to whom is it addressed? That could, say, reveal that employees have their best brainstorms in a particular breakout area or spend too much time chattering in the kitchen. The guilty fear will fear the fact that such scrutiny could reveal them as slackers they are. In the meantime, the rest of us may have to grudgingly accept the intrusion. Because as Bloomberg notes, in the U.S. it's perfectly legal to record what happens in the workplace. So don't spend too long at the water cooler. Time in motion, yeah. I mean, it's been around since... Well, the fifties-ish, it really started yeah. taking off, but now mm -hmm. they have the the electronics to be able to basically surveil the workplace. Yeah. The biggest company that does mass surveillance of its employees would probably be Amazon, or McDonald's, yeah. or many mm -hmm. of the other large corporations, because they're all doing they, it. They're all doing it. I mean, and that's that's the thing. So. Yay, but, fun! I know. Yeah, I mean, it was it. It did start out as being, "Can we make our businesses more efficient?" 
which is fine. But now it's I've no, heard it's... of I've heard of people getting flagged up because they've gone to the toilet too often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's like I've got a bladder infection. What do you want me to do? <laughs> you know, it's... yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um, I know here. I don't know if I've ever told this story before, but we have these Talzon guns, right? And it allows you to scan a product um, and, you know, make a tag for it or count how many there are in the store so that, you know, the inventory system can keep up all that fun stuff. So um, our system wasn't working. The guns would shut off. They would bounce. um, Just couldn't keep a signal. So... I had to call corporate and, you know, they ask you for your online ID and you give that to them and they log into the system and they try to see what you say. So I'm talking to this person and they're going, yeah, um, what it looks like is your Wi-Fi access points are down because, you know, a cell phone accesses the same data entry points as, you know, these guns do and they're scattered all around the store Let's try turning them on. And he asked me which computer I'm standing at. And I tell him. And he names my phone. And he tells me that they can track every phone in the store. And now that they know which phone is mine, they'll know when I'm moving out. Uh, so the next day I got a new phone. Yep. Yeah. and and Also, may I point <laughs> out, yeah, what kind of stupid company puts the public Wi-Fi on the same frequency as their equipment. And that's the thing. We now have, we have an app. We have it on our phones. We can open up our cell phone and do all the same things that we do with our towels. Which I'm probably not supposed to be telling people that because I'm sure I could get in trouble for it. If I worked there, I'd be asking them to supply the phone. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd only stay at work. I'd only use it at work because uh, none of that shit from an employer would be going on my phone. Mm-hmm. Very great. I think it's ridiculous. But I mean, it, it, a lot of people just can't live without their phone. So they use it for everything. They also use it as a towel on. I would rather wait and go get the towels on and use it for the purpose it's meant for. You know? Yeah, no, and, I, um, I, I used to get that with uh, staff starting in the restaurant yeah they had to have their phone near them at all times turned on and i'm like no you know i, like I have to keep I don't... it behind the counter because there'll always be somebody mm-hmm. within range Watch of it. seeing it but no not turned on no no no, no. I, you're not playing I with have... your phone when you're supposed to be working no <laughs> i have my phone with me and i check the time with it that's yeah. all i do with it i don't text with it i don't use the towels on gun feature i you know i go get a gun to do the work that i'm supposed to be doing I'm, with a gun i'm not I'm, with I'm, a I'm like a caveman i've got a wrist watch i can't use you know what it does it tells the i know time that's it i know but although my it is radio is, controlled so it's always at the right time but my my watches have i've battered and butchered about a billion of those things so no more of those for me um, I've got one of those armored Casio things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lucky you. <laughs> I don't. Um, Jean, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it happens here 
already. Um, and I can't, and here's the thing is I cannot believe that anybody thinks that they have the right to privacy at their job. Um, because you're being paid for your time. I mean, if you, privacy in the bathroom, yes, yes. You are more than entitled to privacy in the bathroom. Um, privacy at your desk. N no, um, you're there. You're being paid to do a job. I think it is that employer's right to see that you're doing that job. Um, as far as um, using my personal electronics at work for my job, no, not fucking going to happen. Um, and it, it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be required or even allowed. Um, I can't see any company with any common sense at all that's saying, sure, put access to our company's equipment on your personal device because, you know, I'm just going to assume you're responsible and your phone's not going to get stolen. Um, so there's, there's two sides of that too. But, um, you know, my job, we had to clock in on the computer Mm -hmm. at least one minute prior to our shift and, and mm -hmm. the computers were on the shop floor. So they were at your job station. You needed to be at your job station one minute before your shift was scheduled to start. Mm -hmm. um, and they monitor breaks. If you walked off the shop floor, mm -hmm. they could say, why are you leaving? It's not break. And you better have a damn good excuse. Um, if you're taking excessive bathroom breaks, they're going to want to see the slip from the doctor that there's something actually wrong with you, that there's a reason that you're doing that because it's their production. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's a slippery slope. I do. I mean, put it this way. I'm already under constant video surveillance at work, right? What was disturbing to me was the offhanded way they told me that they knew who my phone was and they could track my phone. Now, that's to me, that's beyond creepy. So now that's before they had an app for people to put on their phone. So how much are they tracking those people that have that app on their phone? Do you know what I mean? In good news, you could like... like it's a slope if, we're if, already if, sliding if, down, though. Yeah. John, yes. there may be good news for you. Apparently okay. Nokia are considering reissuing the 3310. Mm. So you just get that as your phone. Flip and phone. then when they go, oh, we've got this. No, it's the it's the <laughs> original shape Nokia's. Oh. It's not even a flip Those phone. Things. It's the one that, you know, the battery lost oh, like a like, month. They're, they're like a fucking brick. They're a total workhorse. Yeah, yeah. they. Um, the re-releasing those, or they're thinking about it because they're so popular was, for the retro the... market. They're going to update the software, obviously, but right. yeah, that won't do a lot of the smartphone stuff. So if you had one Let of me... those and your work went, we've got this app, and you'd go, uh, problem. "This is my phone." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you understand why I have a semi-dumb phone now. Yeah. Um, but um. I loved my Nokia. My Nokia was my alarm clock for 13 years until it died. Uh, even when I no longer used it as a phone. I mean, that thing was, a f that, that son of a bitch was. You probably only charged it twice. I mean, it's only 13 years. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I had that phone as long as I was married. So, yeah, it, it was a great phone. I felt sad when I had to upgrade to something else. That made me sad. That's when I got the, 
the last semi-smartphone and then I upgraded to something semi-smart again. See, I found, I found the story. It's in the independent, so reputable source at least. Okay. But I saw it other places as well. I'll put it in the... Uh -huh. I'll put it in the chart roll chart. Oh. Okay. Actually, <laughs> if it'll let me. Is it, is it even up? Yeah. Okay. Nokia so... 3310. Once you see a picture of it, yeah, you'll know exactly the one I mean. Oh, I, I it's know It's the best-selling phone in history, I believe. Yeah. It, it really is. It's a... That son of a bitch is a brick. You could kick somebody's ass with that phone. Yeah. I mean, it's great. I could knock somebody out with mine, though, Jan. You probably could, Jeannie. <laughs> I've, I've never, never seen... seen... Oh, yeah, I've got the Note 4. But I oh, think God, it's the no. Note 4, the great big Note. Yeah. Um, And I've got the Zero Lemon battery on it. Right. <laughs> so it's like an inch thick. <laughs> Do you have it in the armored case as well, just for extra you know, heft? <laughs> I mean, so yeah, I could do some serious damage with my phone, and people look at my phone and they're like, "That thing is huge," and I'm like, "You know what? Son of a bitch doesn't go dead in four hours either." You know the the Nokia. I loved that thing. That was like that was it was retro for me for a really long time, but and I, that went everywhere with me. And if you were texting, you had to be fucking dedicated, man. You had to use all the number keys and yeah. scroll through every one of them. It was great. I loved my Nokia. I did. Uh, and then when I upgraded my second phone after the Nokia died was one that had a full QWERTY keyboard for texting. That was great. I wish they still made those. I like that a lot better than the touchscreen swipey well, shit. Not, I'm not, not comfortable with that. I'm odd. I never had a 3310. I had an 82 something or other. I had an armored phone. Uh, okay. It's the uh, same date. Uh, it was it was the top of the range phone at the time, <laughs> but was meant for you know people on building sites, people who did yeah. loads of outdoor stuff, and yeah, I used to go rock climbing and mountain biking and all that stuff. So yeah, I had a phone that literally you you could throw at the ground and it'd bounce. Wow. <laughs> I don't think anyone would want to do that with their smartphone. <laughs> I really I loved my Nokia. I did. I mean, you could kill it. Not easily, you know, and it really was like the most reliable phone I had. And gotta say, Costello, that's a that's a pretty rugged C seven eleven Verizon flip. That's that's a pretty rugged phone, man. It's a good phone. I, you know, I think we talked about the Internet of Things and how it's just connected to everything. I really do think these sort of Retro things are going to be coming back. We talked about film coming back. We talked about, um, you know, if you want to record something on actual tape, you got to be good friends with Dave Grohl and use the Neve recording system. But I think these things are going to start coming back. I think not just because of the hipsters, but I think there was a certain advantage to some of these things. There's a certain advantage to not being wired 24-7 to something. It... it and I say this with all love and affection. I have text neck because I'm so constantly connected at home to my computer and my tablet and not my phone, but my computer, and my tablet, because I have forward facing. I do everything forward facing with my arms and my neck. I'm actually starting to get postural problems and I have to do exercises to stop that. I think, um, 
as we see more of the health effects from this thing, I think people are going to switch to that sort of phone because there will be advantages to not being so connected to physical as well as mental. Does that sound strange? No. All right. Can't find a picture no. of the Nokia phone I used to have. But, yeah. <laughs> they did so many. I... It's going to be hard to track yeah. down. <laughs> Do you want to pick one, Barry, or...? Oh, well, it relates to phones, so let's go go with that, that nice JPL man at the airport. <sighs> A NASA engineer was required to unlock his phone at the border. Again, I can see these phones making a big comeback. A U.S.-born scientist was detained at the Houston airport until he gave customs agents the passcode to his work-issued device. So everything started to go wrong just after 5 a.m. when Sid Bacanarver, Bicknarvar? Bicknarvar. Bicknarvar. Bicknarvar scanned his passport, placed his hand on a fingerprint reader, and watched as the automated customs kiosk spat out a receipt with a black X drawn across it. It was January 31. Bicknarvar had just arrived at Houston's George Bush's Intercontinental Airport after a nine-hour flight from Santiago, Chile, where he'd completed a two-week race from the southern tip of the country to its capital in a solar-powered car. In a few hours, he would board a connecting flight back home to California, where he's worked as a NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena for over a decade. Vic Navarre, a 35-year-old engineer who was born in Pasadena, designs technology for space telescopes like the enormous James Webb Telescope that's set to be launched into orbit. <clears throat> sorry, in orbit into 2018. Uh, but before boarding his plane, Viknarvar would have to clear customs and immigration. Usually it's a breeze. He's part of the Customs and Border Protection Global Entry Program, whose members are waved through the line after just scanning their passport and fingerprints. But the receipt with the x meant things wouldn't go as smoothly this time. He presented it to an agent and was promptly led to a holding room. The customs checkpoint had only been open for business for 10 or 20 minutes, so the room was mostly empty. But several occupied cots were arranged in the room, suggesting that some people had spent the night. A table was arranged with peanut butter biscuits, crackers, and instant noodle cups. After about 40 minutes, McNarvar was called up. He was led to a small door labeled interview room and seated across from a border agent who said he needed to search McNarvar's things. McNarvar asked why he was singled out for questioning, but the agent wouldn't tell him. There can't have been any suspicion about his identity, Bicknarver thought. Not only was he a member of Global Entry, a program that requires applicants to submit to an extensive background check and fingerprinting, but his work at NASA requires him to be vetted regularly by the federal government. He was, he thought, a particularly known entity. I'm always super cooperative about this stuff. This isn't a story about me being super offended and about being inconvenienced, Bicknarver told me. I get it. I was with them up to this point. But the agent never touched McNarver's bag. Instead, he asked for a smartphone. McNarver handed it over, assuming the agent might just want to inspect it to make sure it wasn't something more dangerous in disguise. The agent turned it over in his hand and asked for the passcode. McNarver was taken back. The phone was Jet Propulsion Lab property, he explained, pointing out the barcode stuck to the back. 
it was his duty to protect its sensitive contents, and he couldn't give out the passcode. The border agent wouldn't relent. He needed to access the device, he said, and he had the authority to do so. He'd handed McNarver a document titled Inspection of Electronic Devices when they first sat down, and McNarver gave it a quick scan. The document claimed that CBP had the right to search all persons' baggage merchandise arriving in or on departing from the United States. On the back side, in the fine print at the bottom, there was a section with the heading Consequences of Failure to Provide Information. The section said that giving up the information is mandatory and not cooperating could lead to the detention or seizure of the electronic device in question. McNarver didn't feel like he had a choice. I'd read the headlines of people being stranded in airports and having problems entering the country, so I was still in the mode of being cooperative and polite and as courteous as possible, he said to me. Just a few days prior, President Donald Trump signed an executive order that excluded nationals of seven Muslim-majority countries from entering the U.S. McNarver, a U.S. citizen, would not have been affected by the new policy, which has since been temporarily put on pause by the federal court. The turmoil and confusion at the border had led to many people being improperly detained. What's more, he said, he wasn't sure of his legal rights in that moment. In the CBP interview room, did he still have Fourth Amendment rights he'd have if he were stopped by police on the street? That's a question I addressed in a story last week. Although the Fourth Amendment protects people from unreasonable search and seizure in the U.S., border agents have a very wide latitude to conduct searches and often do so in situations that wouldn't meet the standards of reasonable suspicion required elsewhere in the country. A new proposal from Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly would codify invasive digital searches into policy. He recently told a panel of U.S. representatives that he's considering a rule that would allow agents to turn away visitors if they didn't submit their browsing history and device or account passwords. It's not clear whether the proposal would apply to U.S. citizens as well. The Gnavar gave the phone's passcode to the agent, who immediately wrote it down on a notepad. He was led back to the waiting room where he sat for another 30 minutes. The agent eventually emerged with McNarver's phone and handed it back to him. CBP had run algorithms on the device, the agent said, to search for threats. It came up clean, so McNarver was through to go. His flight to Los Angeles was boarding, so he ducked out of the office without asking the agent what had been done to the phone in detail. But given the circumstances and the document he'd been given, McNarver felt safe to assume that CBP had copied the contents of his work phone. Even after the long flight's protocol dictated, McNarvar would have to go directly to work as soon as he landed at LAX. The second that phone was out of my sight, they had the pin right away. I knew I'm reporting the hell out of this, he said. This is a huge, huge violation of my work privacy. This is a matter of great concern. McNarvar declined to share details about what sort of information was on the phone, but since it was connected to both personal and sensitive work accounts, losing control of the device was no small matter. He delivered the phone to JPL's technology department and told them what had happened. They took the phone in for examination and gave him a loaner. He also alerted JPL's security services and spoke to members of JPL's Office of General Counsel. He deactivated his accounts on social media, fearing they may have been compromised. Once he was convinced they weren't, he came back online. Last weekend, he wrote a short post detailing what had happened to reassure friends who might have been worried about his radio silence. Unexpectedly, it exploded. Screenshots of the post went viral on Twitter, and once a friend asked him to set the post to be viewable to the public, it was shared on Facebook thousands of times. McNarvar took down the public post over the weekend to head off speculation and political commentary on his page. It served its purpose in informing my friends, he told me. A representative for Customs and Border Protection declined to comment on the specific incident in Houston. CBP officers are charged with enforcing not only immigration and custom laws, but they also enforce over 400 laws for 40 other agencies, the spokesperson said.
It's still unclear what was done to Picnarvar's phone while it was in CBP custody. The CBP document says that after reviewing information on a seized device, if there exists no probable cause to seize it, CBP will not retain any copies of the information. It's not clear whether the information from Picnarvar's phone was retained or deleted, if it was, or if it was indeed copied. Picnarvar said he doesn't feel like his privacy was unduly violated but his work phone was connected to some of his personal accounts, and he worries that the search compromised the privacy of his more reclusive friends and family. To get my information and data is one thing. To bring those other people into it is another thing, Vic Narvar said. They didn't choose it. Because of the kind of things I work on, I gave my privacy to the government a long time ago, but they didn't. Though he submitted to government background checks before, Vic Narvar said he was initially reluctant to go public with his story. But widespread interest in his Facebook posts, plus a few notices from close friends, made him change his mind. Plus, he says his deep roots in the country upend assumptions that invasive vetting measures are keeping the U.S. safe by investigating immigrants with dodgy backgrounds. His mother's ancestors fought in the American Revolution, he says, and two of his grandparents worked at JPL. One of his younger brothers is a Marine, he said, and the other is enlisting this year. I'm definitely not an immigrant or newcomer to this country, despite my foreign-sounding name and the color of my skin, Bicknarvar said. If this had happened to a guy who's just like me, but works in some other job, it's not as black and white of a story. But there couldn't be a person that's more safe or more vetted than me. Thoughts? Yeah, shouldn't have happened. Um, they should have allowed him to contact his boss, who could then have talked to the agents, rather than them just taking his phone and forcing him to open it. It's ridiculous. Agreed. Jeannie, thoughts? Um, it's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, we're talking national security. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can't stop a four-star general and say we need access to everything you've got on you. You don't know that you can't do that now. You might be able to. Uh, we don't know what the intelligence communities are capable of. And the fact is, if they don't talk to each other, they're quite capable of playing the spies like us game with one another. You know, we don't know what's happening. This is just one person that went public. We don't really know. We don't know what's legal and what's illegal because the, the terms are not specific. But I will tell you one thing. I posted a post the other day that said I'm not taking my phone on international flights anymore and neither should you and that's why. This, this is going to be why the flip phone why the cheap burner phone this is going to be why this becomes a thing. You know burner phones used to just be something you did when you were trying to weasel your way out of something and now it's probably going to become a way of life for the privacy conscious and it shouldn't have to be especially for people like that yeah i mean although it's it's arguable he probably shouldn't have been taking his phone out of the country he should have probably left it at home mm -hmm. yeah again it's 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 jpl's well it was nasa's yeah. phone um yeah he should have had a personal phone for his personal stuff and kept his work Agreed. phone for work stuff. Agree. But people get given yeah, a phone and they're like, was the, guy, was the guy in some kind of a position where his job needed to be able to get a hold of him? Um, because there we are a lot of now. positions like that. 
where you might not be at work, but if you're needed, you better be able to access this stuff to do what needs to be done. So in that sense, you know, what, the guy's not supposed to ever take a vacation outside of the country? Well, I I mean, I think the thing is going to be now everything's going to have to be stored in the cloud. And you're going to have to have these devices that are so fucking safe and secure, right? You know, no, it's not. And and that's the worst part. By trying to strengthen border security protections here, you're making security in other areas, jet propulsion, NASA, that sort of things. You're you're taking that security, which is also needed, and you're weakening it. it it's, this is a no-win situation, really, in a lot of ways. And it's ugly. This should not have happened. Although, see, what would have been good if... And I bet this would happen with certain people's uh, official government type phones. If they'd entered the <laughs> entered the code to to look at the phone, mm-hmm. and then immediately the their boss gets a phone call from NASA going, "What you doing? <laughs> who's opening that phone? You know, the yeah. phone would ring in the guy's hand. Yeah, because yeah." It's a phone that they know. All oh, that guy's on holiday. Yep. <laughs> and I you agree. know when it's when somebody's unlocking and perusing it, you know, depending on what's mm-hmm. looked at, yeah. Because yeah, some of these secure phones, uh, yeah, you can unlock the phone with a normal code, but that doesn't let you at the data. But it depends how they had the phone set up. Depends, as I say, what what security level this guy was on. But yeah, either way, they shouldn't have done it. As soon as they knew it was an official phone like that mm-hmm. they shouldn't yeah. be touching it i agree so it's not you his know, property so exactly and that that's the that's the creepy part of this you know constant surveillance this is what this is the ugly face of what constant surveillance looks like i mean i i i, I will say this um certain agencies uh, and it's probably true in the U.S. as well, of mm-hmm. certain even companies, large corporations. Um, if something like that had happened to an employee's phone, he'd have been deliberately told to give them a wrong code, yep. which would then have wiped the phone. Yep. <laughs> then what would they have done? Because that, that would have been a big stink. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So... Some of the tech companies, you know, that's that's what the the kind of thing they do with their phones, employee phones, and you know, I mean, so this is a panic thing. Doesn't matter who it is, if somebody tries to force you to unlock the phone, give them this code, uh-huh. and yet again, it blanks the phone, puts out an alert. Yep. Your company will be phoning the location <laughs> where you're at, <laughs> asking what's going on. And and they should. Yeah, and it's their property. They should. Well, I mean, you know, it's, this is how it is now. And that's unfortunate. I'm going to pick a story. I said we would talk about stingrays. We're going to. We're going to talk about stingrays in just a second. Bipartisan bill seeks warrant for police use of stingray cell trackers. And this is from USA Today. And I've got to say, um, 
USA Today has been doing some crackerjack reporting lately. Um, they've hit it out of the park with all the reports on the shit the government's fucking up in their biosafety labs. And they're doing really good reporting on surveillance. So It's kind of like their editorial team has sobered up or something. I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're doing some good work. It's not all just pie charts and graphs anymore. This is actual meaty substance that kind of stuff real journalists do. And, and I'm beyond impressed. So this is from USA Today. And a lovely woman, Kelly, wrote this. A bipartisan group of House and Senate lawmakers introduced legislation Wednesday requiring police agencies to get a search warrant before they can deploy powerful cell phone surveillance technology known as stingrays that sweep up information about the movements of innocent Americans while tracking suspected criminals. Owning a smartphone or fitness tracker, and bet you didn't know it could hit your fitness tracker, but it can, shouldn't give the government a blank slate check to track your movements, said Senator Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon, who he is so good on civil liberties and so bad on vaping, he just makes me want to cry. A member of the Senate Intelligence Committee who introduced the bill with Representative Jason Chavez, uh, Republican of Utah, and John Coiners, Democrat of Michigan. Law enforcement should be able to use GPS data, but they need to get a warrant. This bill sets out clear rules to make sure our laws keep up with the times. Stingrays, and they're also known as like fin fishers, dirt boxes, there's a hundred other names for them, are suitcase-sized devices that can pinpoint a cell phone location within a few yards by essentially masquerading as a cell tower. While they can help police track suspected criminals, the devices also intercept information from cell phones of innocent people who just happen to be nearby. Dozens of police departments throughout the U.S. use the devices, often concealing the fact from suspects and their lawyers during court proceedings. Courts have issued conflicting opinions about whether the government agents need a warrant to track Americans through their cell phones and other GPS devices. The Supreme Court ruled unanimously in 2012 that police must obtain a warrant before attaching a GPS tracking device to a suspect's vehicle. However, the court did not say whether a warrant is required to track people through their cell phones the OnStar system in their vehicles, or other electronic devices such as fitness bracelets. Congress has an obligation to act quickly to protect Americans from violations of their privacy made possible by emerging technologies, says Chavez, chairman of the House Oversight and Government Affairs Committee. As we welcome innovative technologies that help fight crime, we must be mindful of the potential for abuse. The legislation introduced Wednesday called the Geolocation Privacy and Surveillance Act, the GPS Act, isn't that cute? would require a warrant for all domestic law enforcement agencies to track the location and movements of individual Americans through GPS technology without their knowledge. It also aims to combat high-tech stalking by creating criminal penalties for secretly using an electronic device to track someone's movements. When individuals are tracked in this way, the government is able to generate a profile of a person's public movements that include details about a person's familial, political, professional, religious, and other intimate associations, Coiners said. The bill is supported by many major privacy and civil liberties groups. In today's world, most Americans use cell phones or other electronic devices that are capable of tracking their every move, including visits to a mosque, doctor's office, domestic violence shelter, or political rally, said Nima Singh Giuliani, legislative counsel at the American Civil Liberties Union. This is information that the government should not be able to get without a warrant, yet law enforcement routinely fails to meet this standard. 
Congress should swiftly pass the GPS Act to protect this sensitive information. And my freaking favorite fairyland living creature from the FBI, Director James Comrie, has said that law enforcement's use of stingrays is crucial to tracking and capturing criminals. The Justice Department said in 2015 that it changed its policy to require federal agents to obtain warrants before deploying devices. However, many local and state police agencies continue to use stingrays without warrants. It's how we find killers. It's how we find kidnappers. It's how we find drug dealers. It's how we find missing children. It's how we find pedophiles, Comey said in 2014 in a rare public statement about the FBI's use of surveillance technology. It's the work you want us to be able to do. Yeah. Okay. Isn't he out of a job by now? <laughs> no. Unfortunately. I'm no, surprised. Richard Blumenthal, it, but... Richard Blumenthal still got a fucking job. Yeah, well. So does what's his face from New Jersey? And what's the lovely Diane Feinstein. Oh, that fucking cunt. God, I hate her. I don't use that word about anybody, but I, I really don't like her. Her I don't like. Um, what's the one from California? You know I'm talking about Hatchet Face. You know who I'm talking about. And never mind, but I don't like her either. Um, it wouldn't matter what she had after her name, a D or an R. Just I, I don't like people that think privacy is a joke or... It only matters if... Nancy Pelosi. Yes. God, I hate her. She's fine with invading no, your privacy. No, she's not fine. No, no, oh, she's, no fine. she's fine with invading your privacy is what I'm saying. But remember when she found the drone outside her window, how bad she freaked out? Uh, Yeah. Like yeah, I said, yeah. their, their stuff only applies to us. It doesn't apply to them. They have a whole different set of rules. I'm sure I said at the time that people should just get these cheap toy drones from, you know, Walmart or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get little, like, $10 toy ones, and just mm -hmm. everywhere she goes, people should just fly drones near her. Yeah. Um, I I got Bernie a drone for Christmas. Um, At some point, I'm going to get him a better one, one that actually has the, the heads-up display on, Um, because his doesn't. It takes video, but... You better keep that some bitch in line of sight because it's the only way you're staring at it, is if you can see where you're telling it to go. Oh my god! Him I bet he gets some beautiful face. aerial photos. Yeah, yes, we have we have aerials of our entire property now, which is really kind of cool. Mm -hmm. um, it it shows me that you know the, when where the piece of tin was replaced on the roof. I know it was the exact same color, but obviously one is quite. You know, it's, one is quite newer than the rest, um, and I don't know if I like that. Paul says, well, how often do you climb up on the roof? <laughs> Which is probably really good logic. But, um, yeah, they they have a blast with it. And the neighbors, like, and Paul was telling the neighbors, you know, if you see it up in the air and stuff, you know, and it's burning and everything, they're like, well, can he come over and take a picture of my house? <laughs> so, but, you know, I mean, they asked anybody before they took it off of, <laughs> Are four and a half acres, but yeah, um, drones here are really inexpensive. I mean, you can get a drone that takes a video for sixty to a hundred dollars. Yeah, well, I'm, I was going to say for the good for you, if you get them a decent one, you're probably wanting to be looking at over twelve hundred dollars. 
because uh, yeah, the, the ones one. in between are home feature and everything um, for I think like three hundred. Um, so well, you know. well, well, yeah, due to uh, my other network <laughs> connections, um, I know I know several people who've had drones, and the intermediate, the cheap ones, are fine for you to practice, learn about drones, all that kind of stuff. But if you're going to be doing, if you want to do good video and want it to be able to do what it's actually supposed to, um, the return home feature, for instance, a lot of the mid-range ones just doesn't work properly. They say, no, nah, you've got to spend at least this much <laughs> because, yeah, the cheaper ones, they're not reliable. Uh, I have yeah. friends who've had drones fall out of the sky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I mean, I think drones serve a use. I'm not sure what it is, but I think they serve a use. I, I think they're good for looking at your own property. They're great for viewing wildlife. It's just when, you know what? I'm not even concerned with my neighbor controlling one and looking at my house. I'm more concerned with what the government does with them. Yeah. Honestly. Well, I mean, if I had neighbors that had drones, um, if it did concern me, I thought somebody was doing something dodgy with it. Well, one, I could report them, or two, I know a bit about RC and could probably hijack their drone <laughs> if I'm, I really I'm wanted a, to. Um, I'm a pretty good shot with a slingshot. I'm decent with an arrow. I'm much better with a shotgun. So, like I'm I said, I'm excellent I don't really with all have... of those options. <laughs> but, I'm just yeah. saying, I'm more of a direct action person if if I feel something's being violated. But um, that's me. You know what I mean? Everybody's different. And like but you the, said, the, I mean, if you... The, Jeannie, the, the remote camera thing is hilariously funny because I've got an action, I got an action camera and it, you can link to the smartphone mm -hmm. to use as the viewfinder, which is hilariously funny. So you can set up the camera and wander off and sit in the next room and watch the camera. <laughs> did, did I ever tell you guys about the the security system we bought for the house here? No. Oh, well, we bought... No, we bought one of the, the Netgear Arlo systems. Oh, right. right. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, um, that and a battery backup, nobody's messing with your shit. Um, because the cameras are wireless... Um, and you can set them up so far from the house. I mean, we've got a camera that points at the utility pole. So anybody walks up to the utility pole, it immediately takes a picture and sends it, sends it to Paul's smartphone. So even if somebody thought to cut your power and shit before they broke into your house, it's, it's too late before they get there. Um, and it's really cool because the minute the motion detectors are tripped, it shoots a picture and sends it off it's I, I, off into the cloud um and you can log into the cameras and do a live feed from any of the cameras uh we've got six cameras with ours um they take cr123 batteries so we don't spend an <laughs> awful lot of time monitoring live video <laughs> you know but um it's it's really cool a lot of you people know, around here have ADT, and they say the first thing that, that people do before they go rob a house is is cut phone lines. Well, I'm not. I don't even 
worry about that. And the second and thing is fill, fill up the ADT box with builder's foam. So yeah, the clocks well, and clocks go off. I, I have to be perfectly honest here and say that we have taken a camera and stuck it in the chicken house and pointed it at the nesting boxes to see which chickens are laying and which ones aren't, so I know which ones to make soup stock out of. Oh, um, you're one you're one of those uh yeah, people that surveil their employees the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Aren't you worried about the chickens and right, right privacy? You're damn straight I'm surveilling <laughs> them because the dead weight must go. Wow. Um you know what I think is really interesting? If you're interested in that sort of thing and maybe you don't live in in a property that's like large, uh, you live in an apartment or you live in a house and you live on a single lot, the uh, ring, look that up. Uh, that's, <laughs> no, it's called Ring, not the movie The Ring. It, it's actually called Ring. It's, yeah. uh, it's surveillance cameras and software and it uploads directly to your phone it's pretty interesting so if you're not home and somebody's messing around at your door or ringing the doorbell or whatever you can answer it you, you, may, be unsurprised, you? you may be unsurprised to learn that uh, the the property i live in uh we do have a camera covering basically outside our not the main door of the building because right We'd need a sign, um, but <laughs> our actual door. Right. <laughs> so if somebody comes to the door, yeah, we've got a security peephole, but we've mm -hmm. got it angled so that it can't see the name na the neighbor's door, but right. it's pointed down at ours, and we can record mm -hmm. as much as we want off that camera. It's connected yep. to one of the desktop computers. It's a good thing. So if somebody rings the doorbell, literally without, if you're sitting at the computer, you know, who's that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Similar sort of thing, but the cheapskate option. You know, it's like a, oh, right. like yeah, a $3 camera from China <laughs> <laughs> and well, a long I mean, USB. Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone, everyone, we bought this entire system um, for about six months worth of ADT. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, by the time ADT's notified, it's, you know, my shit's gone. And with the system I've got, you know, uh, I, number one, it's got multiple uses, but anyway, um, we, we've, we may have, because it's got night, all the cameras have night vision in them. Um, mm -hmm. we've monitored around our rabbit cages and such to make sure that, you know, we, we don't have, uh, roving coyotes and bobcats and, uh, even raccoons trying to, uh, catch a free meal. It's not their meal. It's my meal. So they need to piss off. <laughs> hey, hey, you never know. Some point in the future, you might be sending videos to one of these cop shows. Because, <laughs> yeah, you see them all the time. As you say, the, the, the criminals coming in to rob a place, but the first picture is of them arriving and <laughs> yeah. taking out the cameras. And it's like, yeah, yeah, didn't think that idiot. through, guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, you see them, they park their car in sight of the cameras and it's like oh there's the number plate yeah well done and the classic <laughs> one there's a guy in a convenience store who knew there was a camera went in and didn't put his mask on until he was right up to the camera but obviously he'd walked across the shop floor to get to it and didn't put his mask on until he was climbing up to break it it's like you're idiots. a moron <laughs> 
you know, criminals doesn't exactly mean uh, criminal masterminds, criminal geniuses. No. You know, these people are not Doctor Evil. I like what um, I like yeah, shows. The, the the camera faces on these things are black, but the camera bodies are white. Mm-hmm. But they even sell, you know, the the silicone um, covers for the RDNAs. They mm-hmm. sell little silicon sil- silicone, con- whatever tomato tomato. Um, but they sell little covers for the cameras, and they even come in camouflage. <laughs> well, the the ones the the cameras I like are the little uh, the, you actually get muttonhole wireless cameras, and yeah, they're tiny, and they're completely matte. So when you stick, you just stick them in a shadowed area, looking out, and you just can't see them unless you're you know they're there, because <laughs> literally the front. The front surface is literally the lens. That's it. That's that's the whole diameter of them. Little tube things. Yeah. So they're tiny on the front, but maybe th- two, three inches long, so there's room for a battery, decent-sized battery. Mm. But, yeah, they're tiny. They cost a bit more than the standard ones, though. But, yeah. I mean, you can get... Um, I, I mentioned the, the peephole in your door. You now get they now do um, cameras that can slot into that. Mm. You unscrew the back of it, slot the camera in, sorted, <laughs> done. So you can have live feed to your door the whole time. Yep. I mean, and you can get pen cameras and all sorts of weird stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> spy spy technology has always been around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and now you can put it to work for you, cheaply from China. Um, I did want to talk about the the San Jose thing. So I'm going to do that now. Uh, smart city surveillance and new streetlights in San Jose. The San Jose City Council is considering a proposal to install over 3,900 smart streetlights. A pilot program is already underway. These smart streetlights are not themselves a surveillance technology, but they have ports on top that in the future could accommodate surveillance technology such as video cameras and microphones. The Electronic Frontier Foundation and their allies sent a letter to the San Jose City Council urging them to adopt an ordinance to ensure democratic control of all the community surveillance technology decisions, including whether to plug spike spy cameras into the ports of smart streetlights. What are smart cities? Under smart cities, programs like the one in San Jose, many municipalities across the country are building technology infrastructures in public places that collect data in order to save energy, reduce traffic congestion, and advance other governmental goals. Some of these programs may improve urban life, and EFF does not oppose smart cities per se. But we have a word for government use of technology to document how identifiable people are living their lives in public spaces, surveillance. And we strongly oppose the web of street-level surveillance that is rapidly spreading across our urban landscapes. It invades privacy, chills free speech, and disparately burdens communities of color and poor people. There is an inherent risk of mission creep from smart city programs to surveillance. For example... Cameras installed for the benevolent purpose of traffic management might later be used to track individuals as they attend a protest, visit a doctor, or go to church. Domestic control of spy tech. To prevent this mission creep, communities must adapt laws ensuring democratic decision-making and oversight of surveillance technology. 
All too often, police chiefs and other agency executives unilaterally decide to install new spying tools. Instead, these decisions must be made by elected city councils after robust public debate in which all members of the community have their voices heard. Communities will reject some proposed surveillance tools and require strong privacy safeguards for others. Last year, EFF supported the enactment of an ordinance in Santa Clara County that requires democratic control of spy tech decisions. We now support similar efforts for BART, Oakland, and Palo Alto. Our letter to the San Juan City Council urges them to adopt such an ordinance. Our allies on this letter are the ACLU, Asian Americans Advancing Justice, the Coalition for Justice and Accountability, the Council on American Islamic Relations, the Center for Employment Training, the Japanese American Citizens League, well, they must be really behind that, Sequoia and Silicon Valley chapters, the Nakamichi Outreach Committee, the Peninsula Peace and Justice Center, and the Utility Reform Network. Privacy by design is an equality necessary means to ensure smart cities do not devolve into surveillance programs. Privacy by design means that technology manufacturers and municipal purchasers must work together at all stages of product development to build privacy safeguards into smart city technologies. It is not enough to bolt privacy safeguards onto completed tools at the last minute. Privacy by design has substantive and procedural components. Uh, substantive protections include limits on initial collection of personal information, encryption, and other security measures to control access to that information, and strong policies restraining the use and disclosure of that information. A critical procedure or measure is for cities to employ their own privacy officers. With the great power of smart city tools comes great responsibility to competently manage them. A privacy officer must have expertise in the technological, legal, and policy issues presented by these powerful tools. Absent such in-house expertise, cities may inadvertently create privacy problems or unduly defer the privacy judgment of vendors, which will not always have the same privacy goals as cities. So, uh, basically the EFF is telling, you know, San Jose, please don't be a jerk and surveil these people. I just thought that was really interesting because you don't see that much about smart cities. I know you've talked about smart cities before, Jeannie. Yes, ma'am. I mean, Chattanooga is the uh, most wired city in the country. Chattanooga, <laughs> Tennessee, how do you like that? They have like free gigabit Wi-Fi. Yep. Yep. But yeah, the... Um... Yes, it's unsurprising that the EFF's proposal there sounds a lot like what well, we discussed earlier, UK yes. laws. Yeah. You know, they can't just stick any technology anywhere they like. The other thing I like about that story is they mention, oh, yeah, similar efforts in Palo Alto. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, that wouldn't work. Right? <laughs> Palo Alto, if I'm not mistaken, has a lot of very high-tech people living in it. So yep. if they try to do mass, you know, on-the-street surveillance in there, it'd get hacked, broken, messed yeah. around with by oh. the residents because yeah. that's what they do for a living. You know, yep. All these people who work in the tech field. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, you don't put that on their streets because <laughs> they'll fuck with it if they don't like it. <laughs> you'll, you'll regret this. You're going yeah. to regret this. There's only a couple stories left, so somebody pick one. Oh, donuts. Donuts. <laughs> <clears throat> All 
Why is it always Florida? No, why is it always Florida? That's why I had to pick it. Well, that and <laughs> okay. it's donuts. Mm, yeah. donuts. Orlando cop. <laughs> donuts. Orlando cop who mistook donut glaze for drugs is disciplined. The Orlando police officer who arrested a man after mistaking donut glaze on his floorboard for amphetamine has been disciplined for making a false arrest. Um, Shelley Riggs Hoskins Hopkins didn't mean to do any harm, the Orlando Police Department concluded. She just didn't know how to use the department-issued drug test kits that cost about three cents and give a shit ton of false positives. The department had never trained her or anyone else on how to use them, according to Deputy Chief Orlando Rowland. In 2015, OPD bought 81 of the kits. The agency reported in 2016 about 350. The Orlando Sentinel published a story about the arrest on July 28th. On September 19th, Police Chief John Mina ordered every sworn officer on the payroll to be trained on how to use the kits. So far, 737 officers have received that training, the agency reported Thursday. The only exceptions are three dozen new hires. The man who was falsely arrested has filed a suit against the city and the manufacturer of the kits, Salafrand LLC, a company based in Jacksonville. The case is pending in state circuit court in Orlando. Daniel Rusking, 65, a retired city of Orlando employee, was arrested by Riggs Hopkins on December 11th, 2015. Rushing had driven to the 7-Eleven at the corner of West Colonial Drive in Edgewater during the lunch hour that day to see his friend who worked there needed a ride home, he said. Police were watching the store because of complaints about drug activity, according to the Internal Affairs reports, and Rig Hopkins zeroed in on Rushing. He pulled onto Colonial Drive without first coming to a complete stop, a traffic violation, and headed south on Paramore Ave, driving 42 miles an hour instead of the speed limit, which was 30, according to the Internal Affairs report. Rick Hopkins pulled him over. She spotted a rock-like substance on the floorboard and suspected it was crack cocaine. She told the internal affairs investigator there were several pieces of it near the driver's seat. I recognized through my 11 years of training and experience as a law enforcement officer the substance to be some sort of narcotic, she wrote in Rushing's arrest report. Rushing, though, said he was instant, ins innocent. I kept telling them, that's glaze from a donut. They tried to say it was crack cocaine at first, and then they said, no, it's crystal meth, Rushing said. Riggs Hopkins did three roadside drug tests. One she got right, the one that came up negative for cocaine. But she was wrong on the other two, according to the Internal Affairs report. She used the wrong type of kit for one, a kit designed for cocaine, not amphetamine. And when she did use the proper kit to test for amphetamine, she didn't realize that proper protocol required her to do yet another test with a different kit to confirm the results. Rushing was handcuffed and taken to Orange County Jail, where he was strip-searched and spent about 10 hours before he went being released on $2,500 bond. Riggs Hopkins packaged up 0.4 grams of donut glazed and placed it into evidence. Several weeks later, a state crime lab tested it and determined it was not an illegal substance, and the state attorney's office dropped the charges against rushing. At the time, I believed I was using the test properly, Riggs Hopkins told the internal affairs investigator. She did not respond to a Thursday request for comment. This incident stems from no prior established departmental standardized training with the Safford NIK test kits, Roland wrote in the internal affairs report released to the city of Orlando on Thursday. Riggs Hopkins was given a remand, rep written reprimand for making an improper arrest. The department found no evidence that she acted in bad faith. It did falter, though, for arresting rushing on a charge of possessing methamphetamine. 
would she believe what was on the floorboard was amphetamine. She wrote the statute number for meth on the arrest report, she said, because she couldn't find the one for amphetamine. Thursday's report also revealed that the department had a sergeant in its drug unit pull the evidence sample on July 28th and run another test. It came back negative. The next day, the department began its eternal internal affairs investigation. Yeah. She cuts corners. She shouldn't have the job, in my opinion. So she was using a test that she hadn't been trained to use. And then she couldn't even find the right codes on the form she was filling out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but with the legal system works, though, I don't know if the guy will manage to get any compensation out of them. Um, probably not. Yeah. But He's probably God, just lucky I mean, to be walking in the damn street. If an, if, if, if an officer in the UK did this, yeah, they'd, at best, they'd be in, be, they'd be filing paperwork for the rest of their career. <laughs> That's it. They wouldn't trust them to be out doing anything. Um, well, you can't blame them. Because, you know, yeah, I mean, as, in the UK, right, and if this sort of thing happened, uh-huh. one, the officer has to call in what they're doing, mm-hmm. and the UK equivalent of a dispatcher would know that oh, that person's not trained in the drug test stuff. And they'd be told, (laughs) just hold the person there, we'll send them. And somebody else would have to go and do the test. But apparently, no, I mean, this guy guy got arrested never then, before they actually confirmed he was doing anything. Well, okay, he'd broken a traffic law, but yeah. 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 And it's it's pretty bad, because anything over 10 miles is felony speeding. Yeah. So, Jeannie, any comments? No. It's just silliness. Yeah. I will say, you know, if she continues in her uh, career in law enforcement, I can only assume she's going to be getting offered an awful lot of donuts for the rest of her career. (laughs) Every every morning she'll come into work, you know. Donut? (laughs) Yeah. I got you a glazed one. It's not math, I promise. <laughs> um, Jimmy, you want to pick one? Not that much. Um, let's do Twitter. Okay. Twitter to judge. Let's tell everyone exactly how many secret orders we get. Government fights Twitter's attempts at transparency with generic filing. Oakland, California. Twitter has asked a federal judge to decide what seems like a relatively simple question. Is it okay to tell the public that the company received a specific number of national security orders rather than simply a broad range during a given period of time? The case began more than two years ago when Twitter sued the Department of Justice and argued that the federal law that prohibits the company from being more precise is unconstitutional. The government counters that courts should defer to the executive branch with respect to classification and not allow Twitter's request. Lawyers representing the social media giant and Department of Justice squared off on Tuesday during a hearing as to whether the judge should immediately rule in the government's favor on a motion for summary judgment. In recent years, many tech companies, including Twitter, have issued transparency reports that showed the public how many law enforcement requests from countries and agencies worldwide 
they've received in a given period. Prior to filing the lawsuit, Twitter even went so far as to send the DOJ a draft transparency report, which had been released in redacted form in court filings. In a letter, the FBI responded that the information contained in the report is classified and cannot be released. Twitter has argued just as as it had been precise in other areas of its transparency report, so too should it be allowed to say how many national security orders it received from American authorities. Even under the most generous First Amendment standard, there is nothing in there that is a national security harm to say that we received 44 as opposed to 0 to 499, Lee Rubin, a lawyer representing Twitter, said during the Tuesday hearing. Such brands of numbers as 0 to 499, for example, are formally codified in the USA Freedom Act, which was signed into law in 2015. In court filings, the DOJ lawyers have said that allowing Twitter to provide the specific level of information would be detrimental to national security. This assertion is according to a declaration filed by Michael Steinbeck, the executive assistant director of national security branch of the FBI, where he argued the disclosure of the information at issue would provide our adversaries a clear picture of the governmental surveillance activities pertaining to national security investigations. Steinbeck also submitted a classified version of his declaration, which has not been made public. You're not special. During the Tuesday hearing, U.S. District Judge Yvonne Gonzalez-Rogers, an Obama-appointed judge, seemingly rebuked the government at one point and noted that its legal responses did not directly address Twitter's arguments. The analysis that has been provided to the court is generic to any company, she said, explaining that there was nothing in here that is specific to Twitter. By five different cases, one by Twitter, one by Microsoft, one by Facebook, and all the other groups that do the social media stuff that none of us judges do, Steinbeck could have taken this exact same declaration and cut and pasted the declaration, switched out the names of the company, and I would have the same generic explanation for why that is the gov- what the government wants to do. Julia Berman, a lawyer from the Department of Justice, repeatedly cited the Steinbeck Declaration, citing concern for how potential adversaries might use this more granular information to their advantage. Any specific number would be impossible to have a showing that particular number would have harm to national security, Berman said during the hearing. Bernard also referred back to a 2009 appellate decision, Wilson v. CIA, from the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. The case involved Valerie Plain Wilson, a CIA agent who challenged the fact that the agency classified the date she worked, forcing them to be redacted in her own memoir. The Second Circuit ruled in favor of the CIA, referring that the judiciary should grant the executive branch of government a wide berth when it comes to issues of national security. Rubin argued that Twitter should be granted further civil discovery as a way to possibly show the unclassified internal deliberative process to bolster its case. In a case like this, there is no precedent in granting discovery, Berman counted. Judge Rogers did not rule from the bench on Tuesday, but will likely issue a written opinion in the coming months. So, yeah, Twitter yeah, wants ju- you to know what's going on. Yeah, judges are getting increasingly pissed off with your security services. Um, but yeah, it's kind of bonkers, because the only way th- external groups could make use of that number is if they're hacking into Twitter and monitoring exactly the same people. So Spot can match up the numbers. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, I, I mean, I they, they really need to have a proper definition of what national security means when it comes to digital <laughs> information, because at the minute they're just using it as a any basically anything they do involving technology. Yeah. 
yep. seems it's to be national security. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Jeannie. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I and I feel dumb that all I had to say is, <sighs> but oh god, the stupid. Burns, doesn't it? Stupid burns. I mean, it's not just you. The stupid actually burns. Yeah. Can't let you see how many people we've survived. Really? Yeah, I say, unless, I unless you're somebody else who happens to be surveilling exactly the same data, mm -hmm. it yeah. makes no difference whatsoever. Exactly. I mean, okay, you could argue. The FBI don't want the NSA knowing exactly how many people would be. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's nothing to do with national security. That's just yeah. to do with paranoia. Yeah, well, you know, American spies, it's kind of like American gods, only less fun. Um, they are. They're, they're just, they're beyond paranoid. And I realize they're what they, you know, used to call when I was a kid, spooks. Um but, uh, yeah, they take that to a whole new level. That, that paranoia is just yeah, I mean, scary the, with them. The, the only time a number is a national security concern is if it's a code for doing something. Do you, Did we talk about uh, when our silos codes were set to 0000? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we did. That's a code you wouldn't want getting out, yeah. basically. That's about the only one I think, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, and I guess because I said we we're going to talk about algorithms, we'll talk about algorithms. Here's a, here's a cheery one. How algorithms secretly run the world. Now, what I want you to understand is I got this from fizz, fizz.org. So this is probably not going to be the most scintillating read in the world. Um, when you browse online for a new pair of shoes, pick a movie to stream on Netflix or apply for a car loan, an algorithm likely has its word to say on the outcome. Complex mathematical formulas are playing a growing role in all walks of life, from detecting skin cancers to suggesting new Facebook friends, deciding who gets a job, how police resources are deployed, uh, who gets insurance at what cost, or who is on the no-fly list. Algorithms are being used experimentally to write news articles from raw data while Donald Trump's presidential campaign was helped by behavioral marketers who used algorithms to locate the highest concentrations of persuadable voters. But while such automated tools can inject a measure of objectivity into erstwhile subjective decisions, fears arising over the lack of transparency algorithms can entail with pressure growing to apply standards of ethics or accountability. Data scientist Kathy O'Neill cautions about blindly trusting formulas to determine a fair outcome. Algorithms are not inherently fair because the person who builds the model defines success, she said. Amplifying disadvantages. O'Neill argues that while some algorithms may be helpful, others can be nefarious. In her 2016 book, Weapons of Math Destruction, she cites some troubling examples in the United States. Public schools in Washington, D.C. in 2010 fired more than 200 teachers, including several respected instructors, based on scores 
an algorithmic form, uh, scores in an algorithmic formula which evaluated performance. A man diagnosed with bipolar disorder was rejected for employment at seven major retailers after a third-party personality test deemed him a high risk based on its algorithmic classification. Many jurisdictions are using predictive policing to shift resources to likely hotspots. O'Neill says that depending on how data is fed into the system, this could lead to the discovery of more minor crimes and a feedback loop which stigmatizes poor communities. Some courts rely on computer-ranked formulas to determine jail sentences and parole, which may discriminate against minorities by taking into account risk factors such as their neighborhoods and friends or family links to crime. In the world of finance, brokers scrape data from online, they call it scraping it from the backbone, from online and other sources in new ways to make decisions on credit or insurance. This too often amplifies prejudice against the disadvantaged, O'Neill argues. Her findings were echoed in a White House report last year warning that algorithmic systems are not fallible. They rely on imperfect impetus, logic, probability, and people who design them. The report noted that data systems can ideally help weed out human bias, but warned against algorithms systematically disadvantaging certain groups. Digital crumbs. What a name. Zainep Tefeki? Tefeki. Zainep Tefeki. A University of North Carolina professor who studies technology and society said automated decisions are often based on data collected about people, sometimes without their knowledge. These computational systems can infer all sorts of things about you from your digital crumbs, Tefeki said in a recent TED lecture. They can infer your sexual orientation, your personality traits, your political leanings. They have predictive power with high levels of accuracy. Such insights may be useful in certain contexts, such as helping medical professionals diagnose postpartum depression, but unfair in others, she said. Part of the problem, she said, stems from asking computers to answer questions that have no single right answer. They are subjective, open-ended, and value-related questions, asking who should the company hire, which update from which friend should you be shown, which convict is more likely to reoffend the EU model. Frank Pasquale, a University of Maryland law professor and the author of The Black Box Society, The Secret Algorithms That Control Money and Information, shares the same concerns. He suggests the one way to remedy unfair effects may be to enforce existing laws on consumer protection or deceptive practices. Pasquale points, out, points at the European Union's data protection law set from next year to create a right of expansion when consumers are impacted by an algorithmic decision such as a model that could be expanded. This would either force transparency or it will stop algorithms from being used in certain contexts, he said. Althea Lang, a policy analyst at the Center for Democracy and Technology, said the EU plan sounds good, but is really burdensome and risks proving unworkable in practice. She believes education and discussion may be more important than enforcement in developing fairer algorithms. Lang said her organization worked with Facebook, for example, to modify a much-criticized formula that allowed advertisers to use ethnic affinity in their targeting, scapegoating. Others, meanwhile, caution that algorithms should not be made to be a scapegoat for societal ills. People often get angry and they are looking for something to blame, said Daniel Castro, Vice President of Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. We are concerned about bias, accountability, and ethical decisions, but those exist whether you are using algorithms or not. 
I have to say quite a lot of my time online when I'm even doing something like streaming TV. Right. Uh, I seem to break algorithms. Uh, <laughs> some of the suggestions I get, you're like, how did you come up with this? Because, <laughs> like, yeah, I seldom, I can go to the same website two days in a row and get wildly different results because yeah. I don't have fixed patterns. So these algorithms get really confused. <laughs> Though I will say one thing, right? Some some of the way things are categorized, right? Right. Anyone who has Amazon Prime, Go mm -hmm. to Prime Movies mm -hmm. and look for historical TV shows. Right. You'll be surprised what's in there. <laughs> what's listed as history by, and yeah, again, this is probably done by an algorithm. Right. But you go in there and it's like a drama program. But because it's based in, you know, it's a 17th century costume drama, they've stuck it in the history category. You're like, what? <laughs> It's like, that's made up. It shouldn't yeah. be in history. But, yeah. But, yeah, I, I seem to... Yeah, algorithms get confused by my habits because I don't well, really have fixed habits when it comes to data. I, um... Algorithms, for some reason, say, you know, oh, you lean neither to the left or the right, so it gets me. At least in that respect, but you know, it also they they also seem to plug me as male. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be more wrong there, Jeannie. What what, what 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 have you noticed anything with algorithms or? Oh, there's all kinds of shit. Um, Facebook. Um, I'm like, what kind of creepy shit is this? <laughs> Get your suggested ads and whatever. And I'm like, these people are like really. And the funny thing is, mm -hmm. shit shows up in my Facebook ads that are recent Amazon purchases. So yeah, yeah. Um, I'm like, what the fuck is this? You can turn I, I that don't, off. I don't get adverts on Facebook. <laughs> you can turn that off. Um, Facebook yeah. purity, folks. Go, go look at yeah. Facebook purity. Well, Facebook purity is good. I um, I use Ghostery, and Ghostery was bought by a different company. Um, so I'm more excited about Ghostery than I've been in a long time, because they've been bought by a company with extremely strong privacy um, traits. So I'm excited about what Ghostery is going to be like. So shouldn't be allowing any more advertising, and I wouldn't think. Um. And well, I mean, the only I, thing Ghostry can't block is the sponsored stories. That's yeah. why I use Facebook Purity, because you can tell yeah. it exactly what you want to see on your damn stream. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, uh, and if you don't I, like I, something that pops up, you can just tell it, yeah, block everything from them. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Privacy Badger. That's great, although it... It it, uh, it gets a little overzealous, and it's it's interesting. It has a learning curve, but it works really well. It works really well. I'm thinking about moving completely over to LavaBit for email. I think that's a really good thing. Uh, I think as few traces of me online as there are are better. Well, there are I think I think I mentioned to you 
last week. Uh, I had an issue on, on Google, doing a Google search a uh, mm-hmm. week and a half ago. Because, right. yeah, it, it was worried about data it was getting feeding back from me. Mm-hmm. Well, one, it gets very little, so any it was getting back, it was confused by, because my VPN had right. automatically switched to saying I was in Denmark. <laughs> Copenhagen, to be specific. Uh, and Did you have a nice and, trip? <laughs> well, my dad okay. had a nice trip. I didn't yeah. go anywhere. But <laughs> just I confused the hell out of Google. <laughs> As I was putting in, trying to do a search, and it's like, uh. and, and then And then for about an hour after that, because I reset, then reset the VPN to be somewhere in the UK. Mm-hmm. But for about an hour afterwards, if I was doing searches on Google, all, all the all the results were coming back in Danish. Dutch, yeah. Because <laughs> I just messed it up. Yeah, again, yeah, I break algorithms. What? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. It got confused. It did. It shows Thank you how you good my VPN is, though. It didn't yeah. realise it was a VPN. It was like, <laughs> why, you you ask, why are you asking a question in English? <laughs> You're in Denmark. <laughs> Night, you guys. Thank you. Night, I don't night. know if you can. I don't know if you can hear it. My cat's in here in my lap. The damn storm. Nah, I can't really hear it. <laughs> that's that's good. That means nobody else will be able to hear it either. Oh, what's it? stop stop it stop headbutting the microphone, chubby baby. Quit it. Um. He gets stupid jealous because I'm talking. Really? <laughs> and you're not talking to him. <laughs> I'm not talking to you, am I? Huh? I don't know. I uh, most of the news this week seems like it's been about Donald Trump. I can't. I can't do it. I just can't. I could, but uh, why would I want to? It. Um, I mean, yeah. Where's the real news? How much yeah. of the sales of spray tan gone up uh, in the last <laughs> month? Uh, God, I hope none at all. It's uh, it's pretty, pretty good. It's pretty good. Well, we've only it's got a, twenty minutes left. I know. I know. Well, we definitely don't have time for that giant ass story about India. But well, that's it, that's why I mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me put it to you this way. We'll talk about India next week. Damn. <laughs> I'm very happy that I don't live in India because there are quite, quite a lot of people is, are. Most of their millionaires tend to move elsewhere. Funnily yeah, enough. Th- this shit is so broken. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, I mean, the, the country is just a mess. Oh, it's a total mess, and they want to switch everybody over from cash. Well, you've got people that were born in this country that have no identifiable anything and yet you want to switch everything over to the system where you know yeah they want to log every citizen basically except three quarters of their citizens don't even have a birth certificate yeah it is It is it is a nightmare. It is some screwy shit. There's a reason why that country depended on cash. Yes. Some of their people are undocumented. Some of their people born there are completely undocumented because of how poor the system is. How some of them have, some of them have are living in families that have never been documented. 
Yeah. In the whole history of their family, you know. Yep. Yep. They are born, they live, and they die, and there is no official accounting of them ever having lived. Yeah, because, I mean, India's, India is one of the weird countries in the world. It's <laughs> second world and third world at the same All time. At the same time, yeah. But that's partly love... due to the caste system and just the way it works. Uh, well, yeah. it doesn't work for the most part. Oh, my favorite thing. I love, um, you ever see the, the pictures, well, the videos of the people just going out, they get their, their power cut in India and they just go run a power line to the street poles. Yep. I love that. I'm like Jesus, anywhere else you'd get killed for that or you'd get killed by doing that. And their system, their infrastructure is just so horribly outdated. It's scary. I don't know how they can move into the 20th century. Well, I mean, they're, right, so so the British pulled out, and when the British had run it, we had all the infrastructure in place, huge amounts of bureaucracy in place, because that was the British Empire. So, <laughs> then, then the British pulled out, and the Indians have got this system that <laughs> they've been using, but they've not been in control of before. So yeah, I mean corruption's through the roof. Well, I, I mean, mean um, everybody might place. remember the Bhopal chemical incident. It's one of the biggest le world legal cases and chemical accidents mm -hmm. in history. Right. And the people where it happened in Bhopal were supposed to get mm -hmm. all these millions of dollars in, to help, you know, clean up mm -hmm. the area. Uh, look after the people there, all that, and the chemical. I think I think it was Dow Chemicals. You know, huge yeah. amounts of money. Mm -hmm. What happened to that money? Well, nobody really knows. Yeah, it got sent to India to... and just vanished. Hmm. Yeah, somebody like... somebody got it, but it certainly wasn't used for what it was supposed to be used for. Because then, mm -hmm. wasn't it last year? The whichever prefecture or whatever it is that Bhopal's in. We're trying mm -hmm. to get more money. Yeah. Because, oh, we haven't managed to clean up. And, you know, the chemical company's going, you haven't done any cleaning up. What did you yeah. do with the money? Yep. We're not giving you any more. Go away. Yeah. It's it's really... It's bad. It's yes. really bad. I mean, I, I would hate to... I mean, I hate to say it, but you can see the advantages to them just chucking everything and starting over. You know, um, they, they that, can't even do that because it's such a huge com country with such a diverse population mm -hmm. that there isn't a single system covering the whole country anyway. So if you did throw out the whole system, there'd be people in that rural bit over there that wouldn't hear about it for 30 years and keep doing whatever <laughs> it was they were doing anyway. Yeah. That's it, part it, of the problem, you know. Their systems haven't been updated since... A lot of the places, you know, are basically still running on the colonial system, yep. but there's nobody in charge anymore because <laughs> the <laughs> colonial system left. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's, yeah. it's insane. Yeah. yeah. Again, a place I am glad I don't live, India. And God. apparently it's a beautiful country and the people are mostly friendly and welcoming and all that, but yeah. There I wouldn't want to live there. 
their governmental system is shit. Just gonna say it. I mean, what kind of government? Do you remember last year when they just took like a huge swath of the money and just said, right? Yeah, they banked no one of the banks. Yeah, bank, oh, yeah. the, the most popular banknote. Yep. Bye bye. This is gone. What? <laughs> and yeah, they, they just announced it. And next day they're all withdrawn. Congratulations. Yeah, 90% of that country subsists on cash because, yet again, you've got almost a whole country where people are completely undocumented and live their whole lives that way. Yeah, because we got first-hand perspective on that from Dick Puddlecoat. Yeah. Because the World Health Organization thing was there yeah. when it happened. Yep. So, yeah, everybody was wondering about with cash they couldn't use. <laughs> yep. <laughs> including all the delegates that were going to that conference. I've got to tell you, I've seen some really disturbing shit. Um, you know, the rebel media. Oh, yeah. You know, how they've been following the, the UN. So what you would find interesting is they have video of the UN climate change conference that yeah. happened. And it happened. Where did it happen? It happened in the desert somewhere this year. And because they didn't want to offend the delegates, they wasted this water and watered the fucking desert so they wouldn't get dusty when they were walking around. Yeah. That's a climate change conference. Hello? I've got to tell you, the bureaucracy is just mind-numbing. Yep. The whole thing. Anyway, um, at, at some point, people will get fed up, I guess. Or, or not. And, it, you know, it'll be just like India. It won't matter anyway. People just do what they're going to do. It'll balkanize eventually. Well, okay. as, as classically said on Top Gear, it's like, there are traffic laws in India, but nobody pays any attention to them. <laughs> That's pretty much how it's going. And every country is going to end up that way, I think. Except the ones that really enforce their laws. So, uh, it's it, We live in interesting times. There's a reason the Chinese call that a curse. I am I not guess... in a book, thank you very much. <laughs> no, uh, you're not. Neither am I. But, um, yeah. I guess that's it for this evening, you guys. Unless, you know, unless, you know, Costello, unless you have something, you're the only one in the chat. So, um, but if not... I guess we will do, because my cat's getting antsy and wants to type on the keyboard, um, <laughs> I guess we'll do Muppets and Adverts. Okay. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for listening, Costello. We'll see you next Friday. <laughs> thanks for listening, you guys. We'll see you next week. Have a nice week.